question for applications for funding mm. into I different that's, oh, categories. That's, that's yeah. obviously super interesting in yeah, by itself. Definitely, yeah. Um, but then, uh, but for any kind of application, or was it for specifically governments, or was it for some type of funding, or it was for uh, it was for a specific call mm. uh, for funding for startups. Okay. Um, so the problem there, so. Uh, Vinova has many different kind, kinds of calls, yes. um, like big or small, or like really with a lot of money, or like yeah. kind of um, a smaller budget. Uh, but then f- for startups, uh, the budget is normally smaller and yeah. get way more applications, yeah. order of like a, a thousand. And, and then, most are crap, I guess, or really bad. Most applications are really bad, I guess, as well. Or? Yeah, that too. But you still have to go through them all. Mm. And um, so this classification uh, prototype was just to. I kind of just make the first classification to to sort them, so you mm-hmm. don't have to go through the manual and say like, "Oh, this is about life science." This goes to this oh, administrator. Uh, this goes so to. So was it more categorization in the beginning? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, that sounds obviously perfect. Yeah. So for a single call, you could say that these are about rather life science than startup. Right. Uh, AI Enabling driven. technologies or. Um, I can't actually remember the. F- the How many categories like, did you have? I th- there's five. Five. And <laughs> I actually don't remember them right now. <laughs> this is a uh, so I, I I said it as a prototype, but it's actually a deployed uh, solution. So mm-hmm. we don't touch this very much. Yeah. Um, it's there and it works. Um, can you share any details about the model, or the data, or what type of model it is, or how much can you share about that? Well, for this one, I haven't, since I haven't really worked hands-on with it, uh, I took over another project that yeah. I'm uh, more comfortable talking about. But this one mm-hmm. is like um, a supervised, like a neural net yeah. w- with these like five different classes. And then, yeah. um, so we had this training data that was like But manual. look at the application text itself or more metadata around it. Was, it or? It's, it's a small, like a snippet of text, yeah. uh, like Project summary. Yes, the summary basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the project summary, and that was enough to uh, to uh, get a pretty good classification or into mm-hmm. these different categories. Yeah, awesome. Did you know anything about the accuracy? How well did it work? Or did you have some metrics around I don't that? So, have I think I think I noticed because <laughs> I came from academia and mm-hmm. I was a bit surprised that the accuracy was like. A bit low according to my my, my uh, former standards, but I've understood that uh, like yeah, point eight. Yeah, um, I mean, awesome. And, and yeah. we started speaking about uh, you're obviously pregnant now as well, yeah. and uh, you need to start thinking about handover uh, exactly. as well. Yeah, and then you're potentially also recruiting soon. Um, so people that are interested in. Using AI to how would you describe it? What is the, what are Evinova using AI for in your case? What? Okay, now I have to sell this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> 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 I want to get good candidates here. Um, well, if, like we can basically the the potential is like endless. There's a lot of things we can do, mm-hmm. and we're kind of forming our own position. So I we've. Like we had this this one solution and mm-hmm. it, that works well for like one particular call and uh, that's fine. But we want to see it like implemented everywhere and mm-hmm. actually be like augment our data that we have mm-hmm. to help the program managers like, like be- make better decisions. Uh, so we have kind of formed this position ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've wanted to do AI like when I started, so I went into that direction. But there's obviously a lot of other things we have to uh, think about. But the main focus is really try to help the decision makers, so to speak, if they should get funding or not. Exactly. In some way. <coughs> yeah. And then it could be for categorizing the applications or for sorting them in some way. Yeah, exactly. Like help with like filtering. Mm. Like if you want to get some some of the applications that are about like life science, you want to easily get them mm. uh, so you can augment your data with that type of mm. um, from topic modeling. Or, and and, yeah. and, and the, the vision now that you're building up, of course, now in the end, it is, is about uh, the data. It's about the stack. It's the engineering pieces. It's the model pieces. So the vision sort of expands into, I guess, over time, several roles yeah. to realize that. Exactly. Yeah. So we started with uh, just the two of us. And we are hoping to uh, recruit someone who will uh, take over while I'm gone. That, uh, could that would potentially stay on and increase the team. We could would have to talk to my boss about <laughs> that. I'm not sure. Uh, so, so I'll I'll be gone for a couple of months, and yeah. it, that would be a good yeah. good way to introduce a new uh, someone else. And do you have a do you have a specific um, profile? That would you think is the ideal profile for when you when you're gone? That you're looking for uh, someone who who likes TensorFlow. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, I I didn't have any experience with natural language processing when I started, so mm. I don't think. Uh, I mean, that's obviously preferred, but I think um, if someone can just help. Been, uh, have some experience with AI. I think that's that's fine. So maybe someone straight out of like university, KDH, something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I probably should have checked this with my boss before we <laughs> started talking about this. But yeah, we are looking for for someone um, or maybe two. But you're also, you know, then of course going on, <coughs> excuse me, maternity leave in a couple of months. Yeah. And you need to do handover um, uh, to someone and hopefully the new person will be coming in soon as well. What, what's, how do you do the handover? Are you going to try to, can you leave it over to the other person or can you document more? Can you prepare in some way to not take on big project going forward? How, how do you plan ahead now coming months when you know you're going on leave shortly? Well, I try to make sure the docs are in order. I want to make sure that the that the the code I'd be working on like works, mm -hmm. is robust, and is well documented. Right. Um, I mean, I um, I guess we'll get into that. But in my previous workplace, handover mm -hmm. was like a a pretty a common thing. Mm -hmm. You'd always like take over someone's code, or mm -hmm. uh, and you want to make sure like. They don't like email you in the, mm. in the day saying like this this broke or like this doesn't compile or anything. So, yeah. um, but this handover topic it, it is quite important to yeah. And I mean, it happens, every, happens everywhere. every time everywhere, yeah. and yeah. it's sometimes now you have a specific situation with maternity leave, but you know the way you contain you know you, the, the way you package your work or your code or in order for someone else to pick it up is quite. Easy said, but you know there there are, there are better and worse ways, I guess. Yeah. Well, so I think so. The the, the particular thing I'm uh, working on right now is deploying this one application that I worked on, 
Uh, that's uh, an interesting topic yeah in and itself. i think yeah so deploying is like actually right. giving that recipe like this is how you run the code so mm -hmm. of course you can you can like write down like first you start by like um, creating this environment and then you <laughs> execute these scripts and then you get all these files and then you combine those but like if you like actually written a pipeline like that that's how you do it yeah uh, so i hope that will be enough of a reference in one way but then of course mm -hmm. you have do you but, run on-premise, by the way, or on some on public premise. cloud? On-premise. Yeah. Because of security reasons or just... Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we. this is also one of the topics when we started. We were like, what can we do? What can't we do? Like, this mm. hasn't been done before, really. We had this one solution mm -hmm. that was, um, like, actually trained in, in Azure. Mm. Um, but then I think we kind of early on um notice that we kind of wanted our own infrastructure mm. um i think that's an important topic we should yeah, have later definitely. speaking about government yeah. agencies in general and having infrastructure that they yeah. can you know yeah, should everyone develop their own or should, can we share something and, it, and it's a great topic because yeah. it's also a huge debate and it's also I argue in many governmental agencies, people are scared what yeah, they can do exactly. and not do. Yeah. So here we have a governmental agency, Vinova, who is actually doing something. And, um, and we, we, you know, we had uh, the Kuglia Biblioteket yeah. uh, here library, yeah. last time. So, so, so to do awesome AI stuff in government is completely doable, but you kind of need to know what you're doing and have the right people with you. But to hear those sort of, uh, to get into those topics and tips and tricks and, you know, what have you learned or how, how did you think, what were the hurdles and, you know, how did you overcome them? Yeah. And then, because I don't think it needs to be that scary. It, it's more it's of a know-how topic. It's, it's a know-how I think that the scary thing for me is that, you know, AI is such a general purpose technology. It yeah. can be used for anything. And so many things about, you know, how to develop a system is very, very common. The model itself may be different, the data may be different, different, but the infrastructure usually is very similar. Yeah. But everyone is doing it by themselves anyway. Yeah. And they're not reusing anything. They, they're building stuff from scratch. And, you know, the more yeah. we could help each other, I think and, it and, would be a huge improvement. And, 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 and I think this goes, this is a big topic because it's, it's back to this whole picture. How much is very unique or, you know, what do you really need to do maybe on-prem or all this? Because I argue that if you have a robust understanding of architecture in your tech stack, mm -hmm. you can sort of, you can understand what is the common denominators that we really can share or where we could do it once or, you know, and where do we need to be unique? And instead of, you know, I give the example and when I was at Vattenfall, you know, we had nuclear you know, this is n national security class information, right? Yeah. And someone argued, oh, we, we need to build everything in our whole tech stack according to that standard. And, you know, like, oh, interesting. You want to run Azure as a terminal server? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a joke, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, so, so, you know, so how can we do 80, 20, what works for most? And then how can we work with the niche cases? And we can be very, you know, on-prem and sophisticated for these niche cases and then understand how to uh, use it. And uh, it, it's fairly common sense, but it seems like we, this is this huge pendulum, right? So uh, security alert and then everything should go according to the most risky case. And yeah. that becomes very, very complicated and costly. So good topic. Yes, nice. definitely. I actually, added as a topic as well to just speak about the next steps and the general thinking about you know using AI in general in Venova. 
but then it would be fun to speak more generally even so to speak about you know a data and ai can be used in government agencies in general yeah but to speak specifically about venova perhaps you know of course for you know if you should get funding or not is an obvious question but i guess it could be more topics as well or other ways to use data and ai in venova so if you have any thoughts about that we we can talk more about that later absolutely But with that, I would like to wel- welcome you here, Leonora Westerbacka. Very Thank nice you. to have you here. You are speaking about a topic or are working with a question, I think, that is very dear to my heart and very important, I think, for, for Sweden in general, which is <coughs> sorry, to make government agencies more data-driven and AI-assisted, I think you call it, right? Yeah. Something that uh, I think a lot of our governments need to be better at or can certainly improve to a large extent. So whatever we can do to help with that, I think is, is something truly important. So very welcome. I agree. To, Thank you very much yeah. for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but let's talk a bit more about you. Who, who is Leonora? How would you describe your background? Right. Um, I'm 32 years old, mm. about to go on maternity leave. Um, I'm... I have a PhD in physics. Yeah. Um, I worked at CERN, uh, so a lot of people probably heard about this particle. We need to talk about the data stack. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we can. Um, So I have a physics background. Yeah. Um, and before that, I mean, you did the PhD, and I think we should mention the PhD and speak more about that. Me, and I know Henrik as well, is very interested in the Large Hydrogen Collider in, yeah. in CERN and, and whatnot. And we had, I think, a number of other people that also worked with that uh, really? on yeah. the podcast before. Oh, we had someone on the podcast, and then I, I mentioned Lotte, a, a dear friend in, in, in Grunfos, who, is, who was at CERN for 10 years. Right. And, we, and I had the chance to, you know, talk about the crazy latency and the crazy sizes of data <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but your phd what was that what was your phd all about oh, i i have to see if i remember the, <laughs> the title of it but, but even before that <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what sure. did you do before the phd by the way you- so i i studied physics in lund yeah, in lund and uh, not a technical university i kind of early on was interested in cern and i wanted mm-hmm. to go work there like from Why? from high school Um, what, what attracted you to CERN? Why, why do you thought that was interesting? I mean, the like the scale of the things, like yeah. everything. There is so many like cool things about it. Mm. Uh, and what is CERN, by the way? CERN is stands for the Centre European pour la Recherche Nucléaire. Yeah. Uh, so it's the European Nuclear Research Center. Uh, it's a with a huge funding rate. I mean, yeah, how many exactly. billion of euros can it be? Oh God! Um, t- so the funding is in Swiss franc, um, oh. and <laughs> actually don't have a number. <laughs> but how many a lot. people approximately is working there? You would say so uh, on site, including the like technical staff and everything. Like it must be like m- more than ten thousand. But mm. then we, it's a distributed workplace, so people work f- from universities. But but yeah. you used to give um, people a feeling of, uh, about the camp, the site. CERN yeah. is, you know, how is it located? How how does right. it look like? Because I think it's an amazing place altogether. Have you been? No, I wish I were, but I've yeah. seen all these pictures and everybody <laughs> and keeps telling me and, and I've heard the stories. So we can hear it one more time. Right, sure. Uh, well, so first of all, it's um, located outside of Geneva in Switzerland. Um, so m- a lot of people think about the 
like, oh, it's a, it's a big ring, but that's actually the Large Hadron Collider. So it's hosted at CERN. Uh, so CERN does a lot of different like uh, particle physics and nuclear uh, research. It's a campus. Could you, yeah. could you, could you call it that? It's a, it's a lab. Yeah. Um, and um, so the main site like has a bank, post office, daycare, restaurant, hotel, mm. uh, offices. Mm. And um, so a lot of people go there to work. Um, just like sit in their offices, but of course we have the the, the computing infrastructure, the um, CERN data center, because uh, we can get to that too. Like mm, yeah. a Love huge to. amount of um, data to process. But then I think well, a lot of people heard about this, the Large Hadron Collider. So and, this is the and what is that's a what is a hadron collider? A hadron collider is a um, so it's a particle accelerator that accelerates protons to like almost the speed of light. And you do that by like in a ring that is located under like 100 meters on the ground. Um, and the ring has a circumference of 27 kilometers. It's a big ring. Exactly. So you also have like cars. So if you have to go, <laughs> go to the other side of the ring, you can't just walk over. You have to drive there. Um, so you have these like really shitty old Peugeot cars that you, you rent and you drive 100 meters there. on an, or you drive on the no, surface. No, drive on surface and then go down with the elevator. Um, so I used to do that a lot actually, uh, like go down there because I was partly working a bit on detector, but also like as a tour guide, because a lot of people want to go there and see it. Um, but yeah, so then the point is that you uh, accelerate protons to the speed, like almost the speed of light and then collide them at four different collision points. Uh, and around these collision points, you have uh, particle detectors that then detect what happened in the collision, and then you read out that data and analyze it. And it's um, not a small amount of data, is it? <coughs> right. How, can you give some numbers? How much data do these kind of accelerators generate? <laughs> well, so... Yeah, this is actually interesting because I think people know that like there are collisions happening, mm. but at what scale? Because yeah. I kind of like, is it once a year? Is it once a month? <laughs> yeah. It's actually um, 40 million times a second. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the, the collisions, the collisions happen happens 40 like, million times yeah, a second. This was a new metric for yeah, me. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's insane. Like yeah, sometimes I like double check. I'm like 40 megahertz. Yeah, that's it. That's like <laughs> Because I, I thought, okay, now we load it up. <laughs> yeah. One crash in, in an hour. No, 40 million in yeah, a second. But the the problem is you like first of all you um not all collisions like result in something interesting physically so that's why you have so many of them uh and then there's like a huge orchestra that have to be like aligned to make sure that everything is working properly so if you have some part of the de detector that is like off for some reason or like because these aren't like um ikea bought stuff that you like like these are very like handmade special devices that are huge and like super expensive and of course they like something some things might might break so you want to run the like the collisions as uh, as much as possible because like what normally happens is that like after an hour or something like oh, oh we have a problem here we have to shut it down like so you have to stop it a lot but then uh so the actual like running of the detector is done. I can't remember exactly the details about this, but it's not, uh, you have big runs that are like over years and those are um, 
like naturally divided into different uh, sections that are like then, then split up uh, split up if there's something happening so we have to like <laughs> shut something down and then fix it and then you start again so it's not like um, 40 million times per second for a year it's more like 40 million times per second for an hour and then you fix, you something. fix something and then uh, and then the, there's the whole thing with the bang- magnets because magnets are like really uh, strong magnetic fields and it takes like hours to turn them on and off in a secure way so you don't want to be like taking like bringing those down unnecessarily so there's a lot of it sounds like there's a lot of like collisions happening but in reality it's 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 not that much but the detectors then uh, yeah. the, they don't measure everything but they in some way or can you speak a bit physically how they work what kind of detection can they really do because they're not really part of the colli- um, the collision right it's like on the side and something right um so excuse me <clears throat> well the detectors are like layers so there's a li- uh, so the full detector so there's excuse me no worries <laughs> mm. Therefore, um, like big particle um, accelerator or detectors, detectors. <laughs> uh, Atlas, CMS, Alice, and LHCb. So, if, so if, if I imagine the ring, they're, they're spaced like, out exactly, uh, kind of evenly and not perfectly. Um, so the two that I've worked on, Atlas and CMS, they are both like cylindrical in shape, and one of them is like as big as like a three-story building. Uh, the one, the other one, the compact muon solenoid is a bit smaller, um, and those are like people normally say like a cylindrical onion. So we have layers, but it's it's in a cylindrical shape. Uh, so we have the beam pipe going through in the middle, and then what happens is that you have like your collision, your protons interacting, and as you know, like when you have like of course we know, of course you know physics. <laughs> <laughs> Masses at high energy, so energy is the same as mass according to Einstein. E equals mc squared. Yes. So if you like pump in a lot of energy, like accelerate them to the speed of light, you can actually create new particles. So that's the whole principle. So is it just protons, or is it different type of particles that co- collide? Um, it's protons. Pro- only protons. Yeah, there yeah. are there are other accelerators that um, collide, like or have been colliding different things. The Hadron Collider is for protons, okay. and then also lead ions. Yeah. So now what kind of particles are being created then? I guess I know what they are, but use it. Right. Uh, so you like crunch in all this energy, and then you create new particles. So you can have, like, there's a like standard zoo of particles that you can create. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can get electrons, muons. So, so a muon is a kind of a heavier cousin to the electron. A lot of people know know about the electron. Photons, like light, Mm -hmm. uh, you create those. And then you can get various uh, sorts of other hadrons, which is particles that are made up of quarks and gluons. In different formations. Perhaps we should have like a like a one on one on physics here and the standard model in, yeah. in itself. Um, if you were to speak about the particles that are included in the in the standard model, how would you describe it? Right, there are different ways you can um, kind of structure it. But you have on the one hand you have leptons, so 
to the lepton family, you have the like the electrons and the muons and the tau leptons. Those are like they have electric charge. They uh, interact via like a, something called the weak uh, weak interactions. And uh, then you have uh, the particles that interact through the strong force, and those are the quarks and gluons. And these can in different variations be created mm-hmm. according like. There are many outcomes of a collision, uh, according to actually how the pro, like, so the proton themselves are made up of quarks and gluons. And depending on actually what of those constituents interact in the collision, you get different results. Mm. So that, that's why you need to have so many because you, uh, you because can get so you many. Can't, you can't steer them exactly how they will do, but, but exactly. if you do enough of them, you will have a yeah. statistical. Exactly. So if, for example, if you, um, if you collide electrons and positrons, which is also another uh, type of collider you can have, then you can more, uh, those are only like two constituents. Mm-hmm. So then you can more like precisely, uh, you know, the energy going you, in and out. Um, but then when it comes to the, like when you have all these different, uh, so each of the constituents carry a bit of the momentum, so, but not all of it. So you can, you get a, a distribution of, of, um, uh, Results. Yeah, exactly. So then the point is that you get all these different uh, particles and the different layers of the detectors are formed to like catch the different types of particles. Right. And yeah, go into did more you mention, Did you mention the boson as well or? Right, no, I didn't. Yeah, what's what's a boson then? So these, they are like, in, in t- <laughs> forget how I have to go back to my thesis. No, of course I know this. Mm-hmm. But those are kind of force carriers. So what is interacting between the different quarks and leptons. Uh, and then most notably is probably the Higgs boson. Yes, I was <laughs> alluding to that, to that for some reason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what is the specific with the Higgs boson? Well, and that's what you know. <laughs> A good one. I like it. Put <laughs> him on the spot. The gold's particle, right? Or right. How yeah. would you describe it? Or I mean, it was a big thing. How many years ago was it when it was discovered, so to speak? This year, 10 years. 10, ten years ago. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that was a really big uh, moment, right? In physics. Yeah. Because... Were you working then or no? No, that was before my time. Before your time. Um, yeah. So all the other particles I mentioned, like... There's academy been like they've all been like established and measured and discovered, but there's this one missing piece that was the Higgs boson that was already like theorized in I think 1963. There's something missing here. There should yeah. be another particle here, but we haven't found it yet. Exactly. Uh, so we've seen it yet. Exactly. Uh, depends on how you <laughs> what, what you think you're measuring, yeah. <laughs> looking at it, but. Um, so it was really like, that was the main highlight of the, the Large Hadron Collider. Like the fact that they, at that energy they built it for, they found it. I think, I think they knew kind of where, where they were looking. Uh, and that's a really exciting result. But I, I find that that rhetoric, they knew where they were looking. How, how are they looking? How are they, are they, are they, are they at a certain speed at a certain, uh, uh, mix of constituents that they are pushing together? Well, or? theoretically, like it would, it would be good if it like had existed at that energy or like mass that it had, mm-hmm. but the, the, the previous accelerators were not able to create that mass. Mm. 
Um, so they like theoretically they kind of knew that like this. If we this can build a, a, a hydron collider that can take us to this speed, i.e., this mass, yeah. we should see it. We should detect yeah, exactly. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. I, I mean, it was really a big moment for sure, right? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very much a newbie in, in this, but even I remember um, that time. So. And thing. and for for a layman, why are we doing this? <laughs> Good, because well, it's really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's enough for me, actually. Yeah. But, but uh, we, uh, in it, this is, in my understanding, fundamental research to understand how the universe and how everything works. Exactly. So this is like the lowest level, almost right, of understanding the mechanics, physics of yeah. of universe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, and like I can tell you, everything in this room we're sitting in, like we know what it's made up of. And I couldn't have said that with like the, the certainty if we didn't know what protons like or quarks or gluons and the, the forces interacting between them was. But everything is made up of those. And even the like the like the like cosmic the, the things you can find in space that is more exotic that we that we don't have here on Earth. Um like we know that too. There are many things we don't know. But I think it's pretty like fundamental, like know what you're what you're dealing with. And and, and couldn't one argue that in order to innovate or take the, the 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 next you know quantum leap in how we how we manage energy or how we basically build stuff or do things, somewhere is un, you need to understand the core. You know, in order to do the real first principles, re-understanding how we can do build stuff differently, yeah. you need to go down to the the smallest dimensions in order to then, you know, imagine something else. So I would argue it's part of, on a grander scale, you know, to be smarter and build things in new ways. Yeah, and uh, exactly. And we don't know what this, the results that we're going to be getting in the next like 10 years will show us. Um, like there could really be anything. Um but I, I don't think there's a reason to like stop doing fundamental research just because we like, we know this now. There's so many things we don't know. Like mm -hmm. for example, the topic of my PhD thesis was yes. on the stuff we don't know. Uh, what was it? What was the topic? <laughs> yeah, Again, think. do you have the title? It's, <laughs> I can look it up very quickly for no, sure. Kidding. <laughs> it's, it's a search for uh, new physics with, um, Two opposite signs, same flavor leptons. Uh, <laughs> I remember like right before I was publishing it, it was like, oh, we should change that to like same, same sign. No, opposite sign. Like it was, it was very like the, the actual wording changed. The nuances of the actual title was something that exactly. you. Exactly. So that's why I don't know it. Can heart. we just uh, break out a, a few parts of that? So sure. su super symmetry. How, what is that? <clears throat> so, yeah, we said that like we know everything in this room. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also um, things we don't know. For example, what dark matter is. Mm -hmm. So dark matter, for example, is something that is like... As your oh, perfect. PhD thesis. <laughs> Search for supersymmetry in the opposite sign, same flavor leptons, final states with the CMS detector. Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, well, first of all, yeah. Um, I'm here. Who is all listening? Do you know oh, he's, he's on television? I, I, no, I, we're <laughs> trying to understand the word. What the fuck? Yeah, take, that, take that down. Um, Supersymmetry. What does right. that mean? 
um, well, I'm, I want to start in another end. So, um, for example, um, we're not satisfied with this like standard model of particle physics because it can't explain what dark matter is, for example. And what is dark matter? You ask me then. Mm. So it's something you. It's dark. It's it's observed in the sense that it's like it's very massive, like dark matter. It's massive. So it's something that like interacts with um, things in space, uh, and it doesn't emit any like like known radiation. Uh, so no light is coming out of it. And so people have been thinking like maybe, maybe this is a new type of particle that we just don't know about. Uh, but that wouldn't really fit into the standard model, the like particles that I was telling you about before. So that would mean that like, okay, we have to kind of fit this new particle in and it should have the feature of being relatively massive and stable because uh, it's not decaying anywhere. It's kind of just like a big like dark blob in <laughs> space there. yeah and um, it doesn't emit light for example so so those are the kind of <laughs> criteria you're looking for and then you're like okay well we have this great tool like let's see if we can uh, find it using the uh, the hadron collider mm-hmm. um, so one of the theories that would like kind of add new particles to the standard model is supersymmetry mm-hmm. So, uh, so I said I, we have those like electrons and the quarks. So to all of those, you'd have a supersymmetric partner. And the naming convention is really nice. <laughs> you add an S in front. So to the, uh, this, the electron has a supersymmetric partner called the selectron. Uh, I worked on like cool. electrons and muons, uh, and they are collectively called Smuons? No, Smuons. Uh, no, sleptons. <laughs> so actually one of the, the, the last papers I published was like a search for, for slepton production. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. I word. know. <laughs> and I, I just, that's another thing I love about CERN. Like the, the, the naming is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. But how does it relate to antiparticles then? Or uh, like antiproton or something? What's the relationship between those? So that's another way you can, um, so the antiparticle of, an electron is a positron, and those yeah. are like fairly established. Yes. Um, then there's anti- antimatter. It's yeah. another thing that you can produce at CERN. Yeah. Uh, but that's more when you like get these different uh, the kind of m- try to make up a proton or or any kind of mass mm-hmm. using the anti versions of each of the okay. uh, quarks. So, so each quark has like a plus and minus version. You mm-hmm. know. Um, okay. So it's it that's a it sounds kind of similar, but it's, it's, that's another like fairly st- established, established field. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of on top of those like symmetries, adding another symmetry, like yes. hence the word supersymmetry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So know. the whole point is that like these, this theory would like uh, predict a new type of particle that is has these features, um, and uh, according to some of the theories we would be like if they exi- if it existed we would be able to see them the problem is it's really difficult uh because i said they're massive and they don't interact which means that they would actually just not get caught in the detector they would just go be back. produced and go <laughs> go out through uh to space or somewhere <laughs> and um that's the point like of my thesis to like analyze data and see like 
did we just get the particles we accept, uh, expected according to the standard model? Or did we see some of these like particles that actually escaped? Uh, because then you, you get into the field of like com conservation of momentum. So like if you, if you have everything needs to add, add up, you know, so you can kind of see if there's like some of the So you're looking energy. for the gaps in, I mean, like this should all add up. Uh, exactly. The equation yeah. should add up, everything should add up, but uh, there is something missing here. Exactly. That's, that's a little bit the proof. Yeah, exactly. So the whole is the proof. Yeah. So that the thing you're looking for is actually called like missing transverse momentum. Uh, just because like, that's what it is. Like you have, like, you know what momentum you're like putting into the collision and then you measure all the other things coming out and then, and then you have in some direction, like a missing part. So that sounds relatively easy, but then you can also like this missing part can be created by so many other things. For example, like other known particles called neutrinos or mm. a detector, um, like if there's something that's like uh, wrongly calibrated. I mean, like th this could also be a calibration problem. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I actually worked on that too. And it's really like you have to, um, so it's not just looking for those gaps. That's a very, it's a simplified way of looking at it, but like looking for those gaps and then taking away the effects of the potential like neutrinos and the detector effects. And then mm -hmm. if you see something mm -hmm. that's missing, that could be a supersymmetric particle. I mean, it has a lot of connections, I think, to deep learning or, or machine learning in general as yeah. well, that, you know, you have to try to get away of noise that you may have in the data that is causing you know, potentially some problems with the model yeah. or some bias that you have. And by normalizing away all these things, it sounds like you're more or less normalizing away neutrinos and, and calibration errors. And then if you do that and properly, you can show something exists, correct? Yeah, kind of. Yes. Um, yeah, it, there's more that goes into it too. And yeah, also like, sure. you're not just look, looking for what you're missing, but also what is the other particles that are produced. But of course, like there's machine learning in every part of these analysis from like the anomaly detection when you like see if the detector is functioning to like the data acquisition, the triggering mm -hmm. uh, in the hardware. And then of course, they just like the, like the reconstruction of the particles, because I, I told you like the detector like is catching all the different particles, but it's not, it's just like recording hits in like some layers and energy deposits in some calorimetric, um, uh, like <laughs> uh, crystals, you have to combine them in a smart way to say like, oh, that looks like an electron because they had that curvature and uh, this energy. So there's many things you can use machine learning to like. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we can get stuck in this problem <laughs> no. of physics you know, for I, an hour more, but, but I really want to keep a bit longer sure, yeah. if it's okay. I, or, I, I, you know, I, I think this whole CERN, um, it, it's such a tease as in inspiration, teasing yeah. the, the brain. It's, it, it's, uh, what is uh, tantalizing? What yeah. was the word? Like it's so, I think it's super exciting. I just want to understand a little bit more. Okay. Let's now we've talked about what physically happens. W what's the data perspective of what you just said? You know, what is the data in this and how the hell do you capture that? And right. what, what, what sizes are we talking yeah. about? What taking, you know, what do you, you know, how do you take this, what you said, the sensors are measuring something that turns into curves. This all, this is massive data that sort of 
in very short term yeah. time or oh, 40 million times per second exactly uh, and if you were if you were to record like all of those they would create i think i saw some number being like one petabyte like for each of those collisions and obviously mm. that it's not feasible to like so you mean one petabyte per f- times 40 hatch yeah exactly so that's not yes. feasible <laughs> <laughs> what, so, so really one petabyte on. for every of those 40 million hits per second yes that's a good number <laughs> Isn't it what they say? Like or a, maybe it's like per second. It's it's one petabyte. It's some, okay, some, okay. something like that. But okay. still, it's it's enormous. So, yeah. so obviously you can't record everything. So, and I told you, not every collision is resulting in something that is like physically interesting. Uh, so what you have is like a triggering system that is deciding. So it's a like a hardware trigger that just kind of like adds up quickly. Like some of these like components. Like if you have like a a, a big um, energy deposit in one of these uh, these different um, calorimeters, or if you have tracks, like you can you can ease like qu- kind of quickly calculate like okay that sums up to like this threshold energy, save this, and if it's under something like just discard it. So basically, it. it sits there and it's all like like a, like a like a, uh, a threshold. You, then you take the snapshot. You, you take the data snap for 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 a period of time. Yeah. When things hardware wise is triggering, put on the camera. <laughs> put on the data camera. No. Then then you save them. Um, okay, you save it. Yeah, you save it. So otherwise, so it's a stream. You just, it's a stream, and yeah. then now you save it. Exactly. So then of you course. save it if it's um, if it's above some threshold, and then there's many like ways like what it, maybe you like. That decision you made wasn't good enough. So there's, when I left uh, three years ago, no, a year and a half ago, <laughs> um, there's talk of doing machine learning on the like hardware. Um, so on the edge, uh, on the edge. ML, so to speak. On well, on FPGAs. So yeah, yeah. Um, just to like <laughs> have like better decisions made. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we're talking level. about having uh, FP that sensor levels pr- pr- yeah, GPU is uh, G- on the edge or what are we talking about? Not GPUs, no, but no. it's not really GPUs, but some device that can implement some ML model that you can use to make a I guess more informed decision rather than just frequency count or energy exactly. measurements. Yeah. You can have some kind of more pattern that you are looking exactly. for. Exactly. So but, but now we're talking about hardware. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, we shouldn't get it. Though this is a question I'm like, uh, I'm not very comfortable with, but I remember before I left, I was like, this sounds really cool. And if I, if I had stayed, I probably would have like want to work on it. But, uh, so, but I, I did. But what happens afterwards? You do some yeah, data collection you, of yeah. some part of the data at least, and exactly. then you need to, I guess, find the needle in a haystack in some way there. Exactly. How do you go about doing that? Well, then you have another triggering step that like takes down the rate a bit further. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the final things that you save is, oh, I don't have uh, like maybe it's a kilobyte per collision, something mm-hmm. like so going um, from a petabyte down to a kilobyte or something. Yeah. Like uh, a million times at least smaller or something. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I hope no one's going to yeah. correct me on this. <laughs> I mean, just to like, the numbers doesn't matter. It's like, yeah. you obviously you can't save data. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can't save everything. And then you make decisions and you save what you think is good. And then um, the like big problem with like reconstructing the actual like particle trajectory mm. um, appears because then you... Like you go from having all these 
like the same data you have is like informs of hits in these different um, detector layers or energy deposits, and then you combine them. And then there are various ways you can do it. And then try to make sure that like all the tracks add up with like, okay, this, this seems to be an electron because it had first a track here and then a curvature here and then energy deposit. So the uh, profile of how it moved tells you somewhere this is probably an electron pattern. Yeah, exactly. Because there's also uh, magnets uh, around these. And you know what happens to charged particles in a magnetic field? Mm-hmm. That they, they bend. Yeah, exactly. they bend. Yeah, yeah. I just want to see if you're following. <laughs> it's good uh, that you're testing here. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so then you have these like reconstruction algorithms um, where you like kind of like you go from all this like detector inf- information to like uh, electron one, which has momentum of this much and mass this much and um, the angle this much and what kind of tooling are you using then are you using notebooks matlab or what are you no these are like (laughs) really monolithic like c plus plus like reconstruction code that's been around for a while and like yeah it's um no it's not notebooks uh like and a lot of these like uh, reconstruction steps like I, as the analyzer, will not see that. Like, th- f- a lot of it is just done for all of the, like, physicists at CERN or mm-hmm. on that particular experiment. Uh, and then you can have your own kind of, if you know you're looking for something, um, like I was looking for supersymmetry, you might want to have, like, a fancier algorithm to, like, nice. calculate this, like, missing transverse momentum. Then you can implement that on top. Um, okay. But those are then... Uh, this, like the data is presented in like a CERN specific format called uh, like root trees. So we have some the old framework called the, oh, not old, it's like very, very good and it's been around for a while, but um, it's, it's a tree structure. And um, well, yeah, what, what more is it to say about it? Well, there's this whole like framework around it called root. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started, I was like mainly just programming in C++, but mm. over the years... And that runs on a big like, mainframe in some way that they have there? Or Sorry? Do you have a big mainframe that you run the C++ code Exactly, in? yeah, exactly. And then analyzers get like their own like chunk of this data format that they can analyze the way mm. they want for their analysis. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Were, I mean, was it hard though? I mean, doing a PhD in physics, I mean, it's, it's so much collaboration. There are so many people working together on the same problem. I mean, how can you find a PhD topic for a single person? I'm speaking as a novice here, but but isn't that a bit hard? Yeah, yeah it's a really good question. Um, there is a lot of collaboration, mm-hmm. but of course, as you know, like a PhD has to have some like original thought work done by your, yeah. like yourself. Um, so either you find a piece in like, yeah, so there are some like standard analyses. So for example, when the Higgs was discovered, there's like, yeah. uh, there's like a, a couple of ways you can produce a Higgs boson and then there are a couple of ways they can decay. Yeah. And you have, so we have like, um, X time, X number of analyses you can make mm. to like, um, measure the Higgs. And so you, you'd have different research groups, uh, kind of focusing on like, oh, we can look at when mm. it decays into new ones, for example. And then, um, but then that involves a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but then if you're like, well, I um, developed this optimization of a 
like how to how to find this in this region you you kind of you can use that as your like uh, original piece mm. um i had I, i was fortunate to like kind of find a topic that was that like i could publish a paper on my own of course there's no i in cern everyone's collaborating yeah but then um there are of course there's like the actual people like doing the analysis and Uh, like everyone is a, a co-author, mm. but of course not everyone is writing the words. Yeah. And I was uh, focusing on these different searches for supersymmetry, and the, one of the papers, the ones with the, the slapstones, mm. um, I kind of did analysis like myself and uh, published that paper. Mm. But of course, I acknowledged the collaboration with uh, like all the other people that because everyone uh, is kind of doing a piece to like. Mm make sure that the data is like all the different particles are like well calibrated, like the, the things in the detector and like the reconstruction is like validated and like everyone is contributing. Mm. Uh, so you can't say like I did this myself, but the actual final <laughs> analysis. But did you actually work, uh, were you one of the main contributor to the slapdown? Yes. So the, for the slapdown, yes. Cool. I want to slap on t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, <I'll>, this, this, <laughs> this. <laughs> But, yeah, exactly. But I love it. Yeah. Or, or Mrs. Slapdog. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> I know, weird. <laughs> I know there, there could be many like bad jokes made with that uh, that name. And yeah, it's awesome. And then you're also like working with uh, like a limited, like you work with the data you have at the uh, at that point because you also want to like you don't want to like, sit around and collect data for three years and then start analyzing. You want to be the first one to like make an analysis and publish it. Uh, mm. And then there's also these like two sibling collaborations, Atlas and CMS, that are like doing the same type of research, but uh, with detectors that are like uh, constructed differently so that they will be like good um, reference material for each other. And you want to make sure that you're you're publishing before the other one. So <laughs> you're like, I'm, I, so I published the, the paper with the slapdowns with this particular data. Mm. Then I I finished my PhD three years ago. So, so uh, since then, someone there's been more data, yeah. and someone else has probably like done the new yeah. upgraded uh, uh, septum paper. Uh, but um, I mean, awesome. Yeah. And we're still at your you know PhD thesis. Um, but I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a hobbyist when it comes to physics. But I do love the topic and have so many more questions. I would love to go into the theory of everything and what do you think about, you know, the future there, etc. Yeah. I, I, uh, I used to like the idea. I want to have a t-shirt where very few people know what it actually means that yeah. you have on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so a, a slapped on joke. Yes. Uh, I want a t-shirt with a slapped on joke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But we should continue and, sure. and see, you know, how you uh, got in contact with Vinova and, and what they do, etc. Okay, I have to ask the question. What do you think the solution to the theory of everything is? Is it string theory? Have you heard about Eric Weinstein, by the way, or and gauge theory and, and what he's proposing there? Or do, do you think string theory is the solution to theory no. of everything? No. No. Is it something you're? Have you just left the field of physics? Yeah, no? kind of. I checked <laughs> <Okay>. out. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't go there then. But, um, mm. Yeah. No. Uh, mm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. Uh, I guess no one knows. But uh, how would you describe theory of everything? Is this just combining uh, Einstein with quantum mechanics, or how would you describe you know general right, relativity so, with so there's quantum mechanics? Like the one thing that's the 
like unification of forces. Yeah. Um, so there's like four fundamental forces. Um, gravitational and the, the strong and the weak and the electromagnetic. Wow, this is uh, a long time ago now. <laughs> and the, the point is that they they operate at what, very different scales. Mm. Um, and uh, like there are some theories that like they can actually be like at some energy scale, they could actually be the same, same um, uh, f force. So they kind of like align, if you imagine a graph that like, um, the, yeah, the coupling string align. I, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, um, but before we move on, I, I so can't resist asking yeah. one more question. And it's more about <laughs> quantum mechanics. And yeah. for me, I, I, I do, I think it's easy to follow the thought that Einstein had that God doesn't play dice and that there is a true indeterministic way of nature, or if it's simply a model that is predicting the best we can right now for quantum mechanics, or, or is it? Do you think quantum mechanics is how the world works, or do you think is it's the best model that we have today? I think it is the mo best model we have today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think yeah we can get into this topic too, but I mean I think CERN is really cool and like everything that's done there, but. We also must be like a bit humble to like what we can yeah. create there. Like obviously we're very good at measuring what we can there, mm. but um, does that explain everything? I'm not sure. Mm. Um, I mean, we, we can't even like begin to appreciate how, like if there'd be more dimensions, like we're very limited to mm. what we have around us. Um, so no, I agree. It's a very big question. <laughs> And a super fun one. I mean, yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. It's it's a bit shame that you can't take a beer, but otherwise, that's an awesome topic. I think for the after after work, you know, yeah. it's more philosophical because no one can really prove anything here. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. For I me, agree. I have a really yeah. hard time accepting that the world is non-deterministic. Uh, but okay, let's skip that for now. Should we continue with? Nova I think we Nova? continue because now. otherwise, let's, we stay here. I think forever. we go we go towards <laughs> Vinova now. It's for sure. Right. Cool. So, how come you made the switch from? Uh, working with physics and a PhD, and how did you get in contact with Vinova? Um, all right, uh, you make it sound like such a small <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, well, so I did my PhD um, at CERN. I was um, I, uh, associated with ETH in Zurich. And ETH is one of the most you know prestigious, I would say, universities as well. Uh, yeah. Right. It is. It's really impressive that you. Yeah, well. it's it's almost always like top in continental Europe. Um, it's yeah. It's, so I did my PhD there, um, mm. as you saw on my uh, thesis, um, and then I actually went on and did a postdoc at New York University. Right. Um, so still in physics in it, yeah exactly to your PhD thesis or. A uh, different topic. Uh, so what I described before with the like data analysis to find the supersymmetric particles, mm -hmm. that was like a very like traditional physics analysis and like uh, uh, very advanced, but I never used any uh, machine learning myself mm -hmm. then. And I, excuse me, got into contact with this uh, group at NYU that was kind of doing we kind of touched upon that subject of like, <laughs> there's machine learning everywhere at CERN. Mm. And I was like, oh, I want to go into that uh, field. And um, so I kind of uh, joined that group, this professor uh, of physics, and 
data science at NYU, Kyle Cranmer. Um, I joined his group and then I was just focusing on another like CERN related topic. Mm. Uh, Monte Carlo simulations. Um, oh, yeah, we, that's a bit connection to the machine learning, then of course. Yeah, exactly. So we should go there before Ivanova, I guess. Then. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Don't want to miss the not miss, <laughs> not, not miss the mi- machine learning bits of CERN. No, no, but yeah, exactly. it, I guess it's a good connection between how you made from more physics into some machine learning, machine learning exactly, into, that's, more that's, machine learning. So because nice that is a like significant stepping stone. Of course, um, I'd say so. I I worked as a postdoc for a year and a half, and then. Mm. For various reasons, including also like COVID, I I was meant to move to New York mm-hmm. uh, to work there, but then COVID happened, and then I was kind of stuck here. And then I decided it's better to just find a <laughs> mm-hmm. a job in Sweden. Um, but, um, but you worked remotely from Sweden then while doing the postdoc. The work? first um, first like half a year, I was still at CERN. Okay. Um, and then like winter, like 2019, 2020. I was meant to move, but then this is COVID. So, yeah, Co- then it, it no, was COVID coming twenty, yeah, right? Twenty twenty, yeah. So then uh, things got delayed for various reasons, and then COVID happened, and then I was stuck in Stockholm. It's like this is actually kind of nice. I'm I don't want to move anymore. <laughs> so then I um, I finished. Um, like I still worked a year remotely from Stockholm, uh, and then uh, wrapped up that work in December twenty twenty. And then joined Vinova in uh, early 2021. So well, before moving yeah. into Vinova, then. So what was the what <laughs> yeah, was the work? Exactly. What was the right. work? Monte Carlo something something. Right. So uh, well, it's actually not really about the Monte Carlo bits. Uh, we can get into that too. But uh, like we already talked about, like the huge amounts of like data that you that we collect at CERN. Mm-hmm. But another like essential part, which <laughs> constitutes a lot of the like takes up a lot of the computing is the simulation, the, the simulated data that you uh, like from the theory calculations can like uh, randomly like repeatedly sample and get data that is like uh, like fake data, synthetic, synthetic data. data, synthetic data, exactly. Um, you can do that for all these different like uh, theoretical processes that you would see in the detector, and then you kind of have a reference material that you have to have in order to draw any conclusions, because you can't just say like, oh, we produced four electrons. Like, okay, was that what we expected? Or was it actually the supersymmetry that ended up there? Right. Uh, so you need to have like good control of that, like simulated data too, to, mm. to match it with. Um, the problem is that like, there's so much and you have to like go through this like reconstruction chain and like do the detector simulation and uh, process it. And you have many different variations. And you can also like the theory is not perfectly set. So you have some like parameters that you can vary up and down. And then that will create like two more, (coughs) two more sets of Mm. simulated data with like a million events, like uh, we call it like what you collect in a collision for events. so you have just a lot of simulated data. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess there's a lot of terms, you know, that sounds nice, but, but I guess in some way you're building like a digital twin of the Large Hydrogen Collider. In exactly. Some sense, yeah. Right? Uh, th- that you can experiment with and, and then potentially do a, a real experiment later. Exactly. Yeah. So the topic that I was working on, uh, so instead of doing all these variations, like theoretical, like variations up and down and create like many sets of simulated data. Um, 
it was a multivariate weighting technique. Uh, I think we probably need a bit of pen and paper afterwards, but <laughs> after after work, uh, yes. we can go through this if you want. Actually, kind uh, of a nice quickly, theory okay. that okay, yeah, um, kind of. Um, like the machine learning part is like, there's a binary classifier. So if you have two, two of these like variations, you can train, uh, like a classifier to discriminate those two samples. Mm -hmm. And then like you, and the samples are long, like time series data. A sample is like, um, yeah, how do you describe it? It's like, um, um, the, if you set a theory parameter and then simulate the data according to that parameter, you would get uh, like distributions of the various particles that you uh, create. So that their energy oh, okay. and momentum and then, oh, so and distribution then distribution of particles, but part not split on time in any way. No. Okay. Um, or like you would, you just be, it's not over time. It's like, well, you collected them a million times, yeah. just okay. have a million of them. Yep. Um, but then uh, from this, the output of the binary classifier, you can kind of derive a weight. So instead of, instead of like, I mean, this might be getting a, a bit yeah. too difficult to like I explain mean, without pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, in the, in the sense it in would, a nutshell, it, what does it do? It enabled us to uh, reduce the number of simulated samples mm -hmm. by almost, I can't remember exactly, but a factor of a thousand and still get the same precision. Mm -hmm. Uh, with Down these, to a thousand, or yes, I, I mean I'm not sure what it is at the moment. It still lives on, mm. um, uh, but um, where, where where was I? Um, so the point is that uh, when you train a classifier to take into account many different variables instead mm. of just are we waiting in one dimension, um, you can catch more effects and then. Um, that technique we kind of like. So let me see if I understand it correctly. So, I mean, you do a lot of uh, simulations, but, and, yeah. but then you need some way to weigh them together based on all the features and the parameters you have to, you know, design or give a prior or prior to, to the simulation, so to speak. So you came up with a way to reweight, I guess, the simulations. So in that way, you can have a small number of simulations. Is that an accurate way to describe um, it? Kind of like you can have a big simulated sample and mm. then Instead of having like uh, 20 different variations of that, you can have a small variation, variational samples yeah. and then we re reweight uh, right. according to that other uh, large sample and then use instead of just like a weight in one dimension, uh, you can use a multivariate technique uh, that is enabled through this classifier. Um, but I mean, it makes more sense. On, Paper. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think you, you also wrote a lot of code with this and you used PyTorch, I guess, in this yes. case as yeah. well, right? And uh, it was using GPUs, I guess, in that time as well, yes. right? And uh, Even Eventually, when we, like, we're testing it on a larger scale. And does that mean outside of GPUs and in mainframes instead then? Or? No, like first we just like, we, we saw if the like theory was working and then like we were like, okay, okay, what happens if we would try to simulate a million? And then mm. we were like, oh, we need more computing power. And then mm. we moved to GPU. Um, TPUs? No, not G GPU. Uh, GPU, yeah. GPU, yeah. yeah. Um, and cool. So you actually wrote like a plugin or some kind of toolbox for PyTorch, basically. Yes. In that case. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. I can see how that led into the world of deep learning as well. And yes, exactly. All the possibilities there. I feel like I didn't do that uh, the work justice, <laughs> but it's it's on my GitHub. You can go and have a look. Uh, uh, oh, you uh, published it openly as well, so yeah, uh, yeah. like it's it's there, and I I see that it still lives on because mm. I get pull requests. Oh, you do. Oh, uh, that's impressive. But because it, I so I I got one like two weeks ago, so I know people still work on it. <laughs> uh, I know don't know to what extent, uh, but like I said, I kind of. Like my postdoc was meant to be for three years, and then mm. for various like personal reasons, I I finished early, so I kind of just like wrapped it up and was like hope someone and can take this it over. What you need to do now as <laughs> exactly. well, exactly. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so then the question is, I guess you know, you handed that over, and then you moved into Vinova. Can you just share the story of how that went about? Well, I knew I wanted to work with machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to have a job in Stockholm and I knew I didn't want to work for uh, Klarna or Spotify or <laughs> some of the, I know. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think I'm, I think coming from the world of like this type, type of like fundamental research for the greater good, I, I, I knew like kind of where machine learning was done in Sweden mm. at, uh, and what the direction would be. And I, I think, I, I think I just didn't want to work for a company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm like burning potential future bridges <laughs> yeah, now. But, you uh, know, I, I was the same, you know, when I yeah. was in university, I, I was like saying or thinking to myself, I will stay in academia forever. Uh, yeah. I was you know forced out of academia involuntarily, but then once I was going there, you know, I got stuck there yeah. <laughs> and, and I thought it was really good, but, but I, I can certainly understand what you meant with that. Yeah. So, yeah, and I don't think, yeah, uh, I'm, I mean, they're doing a lot of cool things and some things I like uh, agree with and some don't. And I just wanted to make sure, like, I think I had like the option to like be a bit picky. So <laughs> I tried to, uh, really, uh, carefully, uh, apply for jobs that I, uh, thought I would. Uh, like and this job at Vinova um, showed up, and um, I like come like come into contact with Vinova through CERN. Like they oh. they have uh, they're everywhere. Like I feel like after I, like mm -hmm. talk to people about that I work at Vinova, someone's I was like, oh, we we submitted this application, or like mm -hmm. I worked with this. Yes. So they have this um, uh, this initiative called Big Science Sweden. Mm -hmm. This kind of um, Trying to take like the the various like technical uh, like inventions that you can get from like big particle accelerators and these collaborations and kind of see if they can connect it with like uh, companies in Sweden oh, and also kind of yeah uh, there's also two like uh, big accelerators in Sweden uh, being built like Max Fornn ESS and like they're involved in in this so I like heard about big science Sweden. And uh, Vinova is like the, uh, the main funder of this. Mm -hmm. So I'd heard of it uh, through that, but mm -hmm. I think- But did you yeah. see, see some ad at, uh, for yeah. Vinova or? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And then mm -hmm. I thought, and um, I was also kind of like, what, 
what would I be doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the, what's your data? Like, yeah. I'm, I come from a very like data centric uh, place, and uh, like, there's a, there's a, it was a really big step for me. Like, it was going from like having all the computer infra, in computing infrastructure at hand, like at CERN, like mm-hmm. and like thousands of collaborators and people who spoke your language to kind of starting up a data science team from scratch, mm-hmm. including like. All right, I want to like install Anaconda on my laptop and it's not working. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, where am I? Like, what is the, like, there's it's a, a contrast it's, here. Yeah. I mean, so it's like a startup inside a big company in some way. Exactly. Right? So you have this, because you have a picture of what data centric and how it could look like and, and then, but then you really need to figure that out in, in a completely new context. Exactly. And then like, it's not uh, particle collision data, it's like documents of Swedish text instead. So uh, now then this, then the trajectory is NLP. Exactly. Um, so yeah, th- that's kind of how I got into it. And I mm-hmm. guess we can uh, leave sir now and Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have spoken, you know, like an and hour on CERN. Here, really? So, yes. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it was amazing, anyway. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm eager to stay there, but we shouldn't. We need to cover the main. We have so many topics. good topics, also about AI in, in government, and I also at, uh, so yeah. beyond Vinova. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, cool. So, can you just share a bit about you know? Okay, you got started there. You needed to start a data science team in some way. Um, can you just share the stories? You know, what did you start working with? Um, did you have any kind of direction? What was the like initial instructions that you got, you know, when you started there? Well, like I said in the beginning, we kind of, um, we knew that like, okay, there's a big push to like, Minova uh, needs to like walk the talk. We can't just say like, yes. oh, everyone needs to do AI and like, then have like very um, old fashioned way to like deal with documents. So we have to do that. So there's like, the, the like direction was set, mm. uh, but just the path, uh, we kind of formed ourselves. So, uh, I started at the same time as my other data science colleague, Gerons, mm. um, and we have very different backgrounds, yeah. which is very good. Like a good tip for any, like anyone trying to like start a data science team, like have two very complementary backgrounds. Mm. Uh, so she came more from like consulting and, right. and like helping companies become more data driven and. Yeah, yeah. So she, when she started talking about like, oh, we need to have like data governance, I was like, mm, yeah, right. <laughs> what? Like, what is that? <laughs> and y- you know, you're like at CERN, everything like that is kind of, it's not perfect, but like it's, it's there, you know, like, oh, if I need to look up this, like who's responsible for this like, calibration of this particular thing, you know where to look and you have all the information and like the, uh, directions to the codes and like to, who to contact and like there's none of that, uh, or some of it, but <laughs> you don't know what you're missing until you're missing it. You know, mm. it's like not having like road signs. You're like, oh, wait, like these are actually useful for something. So I, I didn't know, like I, I was just thinking like, okay, I'll start and I'll like take this prototype and like, uh, that I described in the beginning, uh, and try to like see if we can like come up with other functionalities and like use with different data. But then we, we, also had to work on not just like the the top of the pyramid, but also like mm. the very like low level. Like I mean, I mean, like because the, I was going to ask that, like, so when you get in here, like h- how does your first 90 days look like when you start up a data science team? Like, um, what, what are the major blocks of things? 
Pyramid is a good example here, right? You yeah. Need to put. What did you mean with that? I well, I, I guess it's the um, some sort of like hierarchy of needs for like data science. Like the ML is on top, and then you have more like advanced analytics, and then you have your like the f foundation, which is like the I'm not sure exactly how it's phrased, but it has to do with like data governance and like you make sure you know what like the data you have is and uh, if it's in good quality and, uh, I mean, and like so you, you can't do the top part without like knowing the bottom part and, and but did you even have to start like okay we have data but we don't, we don't really have we have it in different business applications so we need to start with basically getting the fund the data you know the data storage the data pipelines all that kind of stuff yeah so um so when we started there's actually so the, <laughs> we have a data warehouse where we have uh, information about the projects. <coughs> so, um, Vinova handles a lot of... <laughs> I mean, perhaps we should start there, you know, yeah, what maybe. does really Vinova do? Yeah, exactly. do. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, people may not know. Yeah, know. and then that will Good help one. with the next. Uh, so Vinova is um, Sweden, the Swedish agency of, um, governmental agency of innovation. Uh, so it used to be mainly like a funding agency. Now it's going more into like just being a innovation agency that's like identifying and mobilizing people to like work together but also funding various projects so i already mentioned for example this like big science sweden which is like an initiative from Vinova. it's in funding ai sweden um so everything from like a very large scale like those big accelerators i was talking about the, uh, or the, the the labs in in skåne max4 and ess like there's funding from it went, been over there too main parts of course from like other parts like eu and it's got through all this but um like there's this like huge like big scale funding and then uh small like startup uh funding too and i, and I then, must say i mean it's one of the best places i would argue to apply for funding for unless you want to do like EU funding style, large kind of applications with huge reporting that you have to do throughout, if you do get the funding, long you know processes for approval and, and reviewing. But in Minova, it's actually rather simple, I would argue, compared at least to other funding agencies. Um, so for me, I think it's surprising how easy and how well I think thought through actually the Minova funding process uh, is looking. Would you agree or? Yes, that's very nice to hear too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any experience with the EU funding, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, you should be glad that you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there, um, and we fund in different programs, like through calls. So there'll be some call about like, it, it could be anything from like, uh, like sustainable mobility to AI to like the school meals um and uh, like the the main uh, the red thread through that is that it should be like uh, towards a sustainable uh, and we also had other people from Venova here so we had yeah. uh, Daniel Rienkrantz for example right. recently as well and uh, he was at least before also working specifically with AI and, and I know from the past that Venova um, has made a rather big shift into supporting more AI driven projects and I, I guess you know I, I really recognize what you said there that you know they are really trying to push uh, the industry uh, and governments to become more data and AI driven yeah 
but are they really doing that themselves? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. And that's, uh, is that the reason you would say for starting up this data science team? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned before, there's this, um, one project that was, uh, developed by some consultants that, uh, yeah, back to the question about the, how was the first 90 days uh, for me? I like, obviously there's a lot to learn and it's a governmental agency. So there's a lot to like also, um, be aware of, um, when you do it when, in terms of like the constitution and the, like, uh, principle principle and, and mm. all these things. But, um, I kind of started also early on to like, you know, I, uh, we, we decided to like drop the, or like stop the collaboration with the consultants and take, take whatever they had uh, produced and uh, take it in house because now, now I was there. So <laughs> I was meant to do that. And speaking so, of handover, uh, you, yeah. know, you know, and, and a lot of experience from working with consultants yeah. is, uh, it's usually a very, very hard thing to yes. be handing over a project that the consultants has built and then taking that on internally. Afterwards. Yeah. And th that someone else had initially ordered like uh, bestelt or like defined what the project should contain and not really thought about the handover and not even like it's impossible to know when you start with like a, a pilot project like will there be someone who to take over it uh so there are ma many challenges but yeah so <laughs> i agree and having come from academia where like it, it's not good for your reputation if you have some if you hand over some shitty code that doesn't work um, I mean, I had, we don't have to go into details, but I had some, some difficulties taking over a code and, but there's also difficulties in actually like, I don't want to say physically, but like actually taking that code to our own systems because, uh, I, I mean, I had problems even like installing stuff on my laptop when yeah, I started, yeah. uh, I mean, because, because of all these restrictions as a government agency. So it was easier to said to done, uh, said than done to just say like, oh, here's the code. I'm going to run it. It's like, no, I have to like really set everything up from scratch now in order to even see if this works and then get back to them and see if it works. Yeah. I mean, installing something, you know, this is, um, one of the, the core problems that we have in DevOps and in MLOps, especially, and, and how to make something that you package to not only work when you build it, but actually work in coming years Yeah, and handling all the dependencies and upgrading the packages. Exactly. And not, it's, it's a super hard problem. Yeah. And, I, and, and actually th there's a tangent here and then it's, there, there's a massive learning here also how to work with consultants and how to set up with consultants. If you, if you have an ambition to become data driven as a company, there's a huge difference if having embedding consultants to work with you in a way that it's seamless for you to run it yeah. versus, you know, you're working on their machines, you're working somewhere else and you don't really have visibility of the code. Yeah. And, you know, you think, oh, it's documented. No, it's not documented. This is PowerPoint. This is not documentation. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And then, you know, so I, I think there is also, there's a required maturity to buy consulting around software, AI and machine learning. If you truly are planning on becoming data driven yourself yeah, versus is a little bit like outsourcing more or less yeah. the problem, right? What do you, I think this is a quite profound, uh, important I agree. topic. I think it, and it has to do with the nature of like the applications you want to build. Like Vinova is very, like 
uses a lot of consultants, uh, for example, for the evaluation of the various programs. And there's a point in that because it, then you're unbiased and there's someone external that is like evaluating some of them. It makes sense. And the deliverable is like a presentation and a report and that's fine. And, yeah. Uh, Clean. Yeah. But like a, like an AI application is a, almost a living and breathing thing. Not really, but like, it's something that you'd like need to be able to maintain and like make sure it doesn't break after six months. And, um, I think when you think of consultants work, maybe at, we nobody thought like, oh, this, we can do this. We, we get the same thing. I just uh, asked the evaluation service, but it's, it doesn't work. And you're also like overcoming a lot of like, boundaries or like you let the consultants overcome the boundaries without like actually like when you bring the project in uh they have in learned and sold a, a lot of stuff but yeah that but it works in their machines <laughs> that knowledge has not really been yeah. embedded in, in in the company so when i take something over it's like fine it works but then like if i encounter problems that they have solved like yeah that's a different brain that did that not me so a, a lot of the work was to just make sure that like okay we have the solution. We don't want to start like completely from scratch. Um, like we want to <laughs> reuse as much as possible, but we had to work on like really the, like, okay, we're not going to read in like Excel files anymore. <laughs> like no. we have to like connect this to our data warehouse and like extract this and like make sure the results end up there too and not in some like other text <laughs> format uh, in a file and the stuff pieces like that. There's like, there was a lot of the work. The Go, I mean, here. this is a classical going from a prototype yeah. to actually some, something that works in production, which yeah. is so much work. And every, every, everyone is underestimating how much work that really yeah. is. Yeah. And, and um, I'm biting my tongue now because you can talk about this in, in, in ERP, yeah. in different Me versions where, where people <laughs> say, oh, in, in ERP style, they have this word, we go brownfield or greenfield, right? And, and um, huge investments, a lot of sunk costs. Oh, no, no, no. You need to build on the garbage we have. It's going to be a better idea. And I argue like sometimes, even if you've done a prototype, you have learned a lot and you should be happy with that, but it doesn't mean you need to use that particular code. I agree. Yeah. You know, because you learned and you have all these fake pipelines. So now we build it a proper foundation. How do we do? You know, I, I argue you do it cheaper and faster and more robust. A lot of times. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, since I was also like not just taking on like a new, uh, like project, I was also taking on a new field of research, the yeah. NLP. So for me, there was a point in like actually not like starting from scratch. So I was happy that there was a uh, cold code available. Yeah. But I agree if, if this would have been like something that I was more familiar with, uh, from particle physics, I would have been like, okay, I'm starting over from scratch and I'm going to do it. No, and, 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 and I would argue it's, it's not scratch negative because you yeah. have learned something yeah. and you realize what is great. And then you can, okay, 2.0 of the problem. Right. And, yeah. and but it's, you can write the code cleanery, you know, when you do it clean the whole way. I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of times we are creating I mean, problems for ourselves. A simple example of this is that I think, you know, if you do a pre-study of some kind or a prototype, which can be part of a pre-study, it's not for the purpose that this is going to be the product, yeah. the application. It's only for the purpose of building the knowledge. Does this work or not? So therefore you use notebooks and these kind of ugly solutions to quickly Get not build the proper 
uh, implementation, but to just obtain the knowledge: does this work or not? Yeah. Does the power or the data contain contain enough predictive power to support the application we want to build? And and you shouldn't, I would argue, in many cases, even do that in a production style environment. You should do it in a different environment. Yeah. And on that subject, I uh, I agree a lot no. with what you're saying, and. I think there's this like misconception that like this is how you start. Mm. Like this is this is the way to start. Um but the problem is so that we can like show the potential and then take mm. it to the stakeholders say like we saw this potential and now we can move further with these consultants and like mm. uh, but you don't I mean the potential is already there. I can tell you that for free. You don't have to have consultants working for it. Not everyone. No, of course. Everyone. I mean but uh, yeah. uh, I can only talk for the like funding agencies and yeah. the the ones like processing the same types of documents and I'm like that you don't have to go through everyone don't have to go through the same experience yeah. like we can we can definitely reuse it. But, but I think yeah. there are, there are two schools of thoughts here and I think they're both valid. Uh, because in, in, in one area, you really want to do rapid prototyping on something yeah. to, to, as a part of an ideation process mm. or validating, do we even have the relevant data? And I fully then agree with what Anders is saying. Yeah. But then we also have what I'm a strong proponent for, what I would call, we, we call it the evolutionary MVP. It's actually, we know this is going to work in, in, in terms of it's not that it's not a rocket science problem. It's, it's some simple, you know, maybe much more ad, simple advanced analytics even or something or reporting. Right. So why do we need to prototype and POC then? Because the problem then is a different one that then you sell in something. The, the stakeholders saw the P power BI dashboard and, and they think it's beautiful. So why can't you use run with that? And all we all know it's crap underneath, right? So here, here I want to do an evolutionary MVP. I want to set up a skeleton. I want to highlight how it should work. And I want to have an idea, you know, how do we ought, you know, so I think there are two schools of yeah. thought here and they're both valid for different types of situations. Yeah. And I think what I was trying to, uh, the example I was trying to highlight is just that, you don't have to go and uh, like order a pilot project with consultants because th starting that yourself, I think, like you, like it, when it comes to like rapid prototyping, like that's the fun part. Like that, yes, <laughs> that's what I want exactly. to do when I start a job. I don't yes. want to uh, take over something that. <laughs> but so I think, uh, but I think there's a misconception that like oh you have to like this is the way to start okay and then. You have all these different uh, consultant firms being like, "Oh, we can help you with this. We can help you with this." Yeah, but it, but and, I, and I, then I, but it, just I, get someone started on it. But it's also <laughs> very very different if we talk rapid prototyping, piloting within the internal team, yes, versus the new way of selling by consultants. Handing, yeah. handing over exactly. is horrible. I, mean, I, mean, like, I, I think the, the point is this: that the consultants have found a way to sort of hide how difficult this is and get their foot in the door with yeah. a small little pilot. Yeah. And, and then sort of, by the way, this was the pinky and you, you need to build the arm. Yeah, and exactly. we, yeah. when, and, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm, uh, until we have sort of locked you in. Yeah, exactly. I, I am really yeah. cynical here, but so it's, I think yeah, it's a major difference to, to, yeah. to talk about rapid prototyping when you have a team and when you are really going in one way versus the sort of the piloting sales approach, which is. Of course, we should try it. And of course, we need to validate it. But it's tricky if you're not super clear on the real massive 
effort to go to production. Yeah, yeah I, I, what I'm trying to say is like, if you if you want to make a long term investment in this direction, mm. you have to treat like the work as a long term investment yes. too, and like hire someone, and like they will know how to start. Yes. Like it doesn't need to come from like it sounds like this is the way to do it. Like you have a prototype and I inherit it. I, I'm very, I would have also very much have liked to like start from scratch too. Mm-hmm. So it's you don't have to go this direction. No. Um, yeah, I think I think. But we, the main commitment you said is the commitment <laughs> in investment, and even if you're piloting or or you're doing MVP evolutionary, you need to commit to not only for a pilot. You need to have some sort of commitment in idea on this. So if you, if you're not even willing to commit to recruit one person that can sort of live and breathe it, it I don't know. No, of, of course. And it's difficult because, you know, <laughs> like you have to start somehow, but I think the, like, I, at least when it comes to government, uh, there is the like national AI strategy and like people should be going in this direction. And I'm just trying to say like, Take this direction instead of going through the consultants. That's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Um, but, uh, and I think. I'll, I like I'll, your opinion here. Okay, good. Because you were silent. I was like, oh, it is not. I'm a consultant, thing. by the way, but I hate <laughs> consulting. But they're I'm good also in biking bad my ways time over. here. But, yeah. and I, but, I, but I, 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 I'm a consultant, but I, but I truly believe. Uh, I, mean, in, I think we shouldn't speak down consul- on consultants yeah, no, in general very, because they can, yeah. if you use them correctly, can be a really, really great help for a company. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think definitely. so many people don't understand how they can be used Useful. in the wrong way, right? The main point is what should we use consultant for and how yeah. yes. and in what way? Yes. And, you know, gone in my opinion is the hero consulting coming from above mm. flying in doesn't work. Gone is the sort of consulting working, completing on the side. Well, if you don't want to outsource this know-how, but if you want to be data driven, you need to embed the knowledge. Yeah. So I started a consultancy with the notion of not being consultant for many, many years. I hate consultants. But I'm going to I'm going to start a consulting company yeah. because of what we are talking about right now. Yeah. So I think it's the whole industry is biting themselves in the ass. To be yeah. honest, no, um, I, I, I love consulting. By the way, yeah, and I also <laughs> just for the record want to say that like I've had very good interactions with some consultants because I, there's good and bad ways of working with them. Yeah, and, and like and it's 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 more the phenomena. Yeah, it's more how we buy consulting, yeah. which is sort of. I think what you are uh, yeah. uh, talking about, and I fully and agree with it. When it comes to projects. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we do love consultants. We love them. Yes, yes, we love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't blame them. You can only blame the buyer. The context is yes. weird. Contract. Cool. Okay. That was a long discussion <laughs> yeah. about consultants. Uh, but I'm happy that petty. you moved to Venova. I'm happy that Venova is taking a more data-driven and AI approach as well. I'm happy that you also are, you know, are able to continue the project and now getting, I guess, more data and AI driven way to handle funding applications. And I think since the time has flied away so much, and we actually spoke a bit about your project that you're working with right now, trying to use NLP to understand the summaries of uh, applications and, and in that way both categorize and please correct me if, if I'm wrong here both categorize and also classify and sort them in some way you know which applications that are good or bad in some way right yeah yeah it's not about if they're good or bad it's just like who should be looking at these um yeah okay so then, only the categorization part yeah um but then um, I think 
leaving that project aside, we can talk about what I've uh, the other things that I've been Please. doing. So there's another. So first of all, I mean, as you understood, there's some challenges starting with like. Mm. Uh, obviously, we didn't have any uh, computing power at hand, so mm. um, we realized that if we wanted to like process and go through like uh, PDFs of like applications at a large scale, we needed to have a GPU, uh, and that's a kind of a long process also to get to. Mm. Um, I mean, we we for various reasons can't use uh, cloud. Um, and we also, I, I have access to one of the like HPC, um, like Viega, one of these like computers. Viega is in Slovenia, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not, it's a big not, EU-funded uh, exactly. computing cluster. Exactly. Um, but the problem is that with Vinova's data is like uh, there's a company secret, so you don't want to just give that like to some uh, somewhere. You you really want the data in Sweden. Exactly. Or less, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, we knew early on that we needed to, um, like, well, we were weighing the different options and ended up saying, like, we think we need a GPU server. But having in mind that, like, if we're going to be, like, the funding agency that's going to, like, start with data, uh, the, uh, data science, I think we could also be, like, sharing these resource so we also like kind of had that in the back of the mind that, that like this is a big investment but long term i think this is so uh, actually to yeah to be able to as we know as part of a call even supply other types of resources or at least you highlighted from being a pure funding agency now you're an innovation agency so you have other types of resources yeah I, I think i yeah i think for what i had in mind is that uh so for example we have uh, this one uh, text analysis tool that um, there's so many things to talk about, uh, but we want to make sure that not all the other funding agencies go and like buy their own GPU and like mm. uh, develop their own uh, tools. So we want to make sure that like this this is what we have. We have the 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 server you can use it, and this is the 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 tool, uh, and this is what uh, we kind of have in mind and. Uh, so we, so we had that in mind from the beginning, saying like, okay, we know it's like, it's not feasible for everyone to buy their own um, workstation, uh, but we we will do it. Uh, we will be the ex- exception, and we'll do it, and then we'll make sure that other, others can use it. But it won't be like in a big. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be in in a big scale uh, on a big scale. But um, but yeah, so we decided that last summer. And we ordered this thing, and it arrived six months later, mm-hmm. which meant that I was basically working without a GPU, like for the first whole year. What type year. of GPU was it? Sorry? What it's, type of GPU? It's an NVIDIA A100. Yes, so it's A100 not a, GPU, yeah. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Um, so we were like, but we want to like start start working. So we can't. We realized we can't be doing any like a big scale processing of like the uh like whole pdf documents but we ha- we tried to like find another uh, data set that we had within that we could um start like making some useful AI-, ai with and this data set um is so you know vinova is funding a lot of uh, projects and uh vinova doesn't decide or vinova of course makes the decision who gets funding or not but we hire 
external evaluators uh, to do that for us. And then and they the say, like, are doing that as well. So, All right. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then th they make a recommendation and say, like, oh, this should be get funding or not. Mm. So we have like a big pool of evaluators, uh, you included. Mm. And um, when we collect these evaluators, you've done it yourself, mm. you kind of give your own like, oh, I'm an expert in this field and this field and this field. But there's no like standardized way of like saying AI, you can say that in so many different ways. Mm. Or if it has to do with like mobility or circular economy, like there's many different variations and languages. And like you can see anything like showing up as like the, this is the experts mm. expertise. So we thought that, okay, this is kind of a fairly small data set, but we could still do topic modeling. So kind of cluster these different keywords and get common topics. So instead of having like 2000 different words, and then when the program manager is like, oh, I need to find all the like evaluators that are working in circular economy, circular economy, they don't have to go and feel like we have to search for circular economy and then uh, circular circular tanks. Yeah, all, all the different mm. variations you can think of because there are common themes they're not that many different topics like there are uh, so let me see if i understand this correctly yeah. because it sounds really cool um, let's say a new call comes up and you need to find a set of reviewers yes evaluators for that call yeah. and usually that you had similar calls in the past and they had a set of reviewers but not exactly the same perhaps. Yeah. so then coming up with a set of reviewers that are mostly related to this call. And then you used machine learning to do that, uh, some kind of topic modeling technique. Yeah, so the, to the topic modeling is kind of to just get uh, an efficient way to filter on the various evaluators within mm -hmm. different topics. Yes. So instead of like, if we could they go to this like dashboard with all the different words, and then you're you're not sure if you're like picking everyone who knows AI because you just search for AI, but a lot of people put in ML Which instead. ML, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the topic modeling will catch that and make mm. one yes. one topic of that. So Can you share any details? What type? There are so many different topic modeling right. techniques. LDA. LDA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, so that was like a nice, convenient data set to start with and also like a kind of a, a it, it won't change anyone's life, but it would make some part of their work a bit easier. Yeah, um, sure. So this is kind of an example of something that we're, because we've also, we heard early on, we're like, we don't want to just be like prototyping and prototyping. We have to like take something and like put it in, into production. I love it. I mean, like, so go narrow, go sharp and go commit to deploy yeah so <laughs> that's that, awesome yeah. <laughs> so we commit to deploy just to share you know it's one of our okay. <laughs> favorite t-shirt quotes yeah one of the terms oh. that we we try to use quite a lot i i, I agree <laughs> i mean it's really saying what you're saying i mean instead of just building out the prototypes yeah. we should really try to find some way to deploy it to actually try it out in in the real world so to speak and yeah. Deploy yeah. It, right? so instead of talking about commit to deploy as the last you know instruction that's your mantra yeah, for exactly. for your yeah. initiatives. So even if you do rapid prototyping or you do MVP or whatever, we are committed to deploying. That's num that's the number one goal. Yeah. And then you can and then you don't 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 go too ambitious. Go for what is clear and what you understand and commit to deploy. Yeah. 
Awesome. I, I, I think that's an awesome. I think it's Luca who is sort of. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, Luca Paltarion. Yeah. Uh, we were joking about this. Yeah. I mean, cool. So one project then, topic modeling, trying yeah. to help you know what to find, find the right reviewers for a new call comes up. Yeah. Sounds like a perfect. Uh, and then there's example. you can do so many things like with the data we have. I mean, just the next possible thing would be to like once you have these like topics, you would just like easily. You have a call for AI and you have all these, like you've isolated all the like AI evaluators and then you can like optimize who gets what. And like, you need to have like a nice uh, representation of the evaluators from not just industry, but also public sector and, and academia. And there's a lot of cool things you can do with that, but this is kind of the first stepping stone, just like, all right, how can we just group them together? So we know who's who, and then there's so many things we can do. Um, Awesome. <laughs> how, how is your sort of, how does your opportunity portfolio work and look like? How do you identify ideas and how are you sorting them and how are you prioritizing and how do you build your pipeline roadmap of, or whatever you want to call it? Right. So, um, a lot of this work is, uh, uh I want to, uh, give credit to, um, my colleague Garons because I think she early on had a good vision of like, this is how we should do it. Um, we last spring, we started in like February and March, uh, last spring, we, um, not only just like took over that uh, prototype and like set up our own, like data science environment to work in. Like we also like went around to talk to people and was like, what are the pain points? Mm -hmm. Like what, um, what would you like to see? Um, and uh, there's some like Vinova is a really inspiring place to work at. There's so many knowledgeable people and experts, and like if you ask for suggestions, you'll get them. <laughs> you get so many. So then we kind of had to like back up and be like, "Hey, perfect, thank you. We got all these suggestions." And then uh, we we um, saw this like uh, prioritization. Um, thing from AI Sweden that was like help to prioritize like nice. uh, taking into account like the simple, feasibility like a template and to help, help you sort of exactly, value can, like, effort rate the different things and then we had like a nice um, kind of quadrant thing where we'd have like is it like we would judge like if it's if it's feasible like some things we obviously needed like our GPU for and some things we could do right away some things like a lot of things aren't AI, a lot of things are just like, like connect these to different data sources and, and like present the results. Uh, Still like value. I know, I know a lot. <laughs> but there's, like we try to identify the like low hanging fruit and like whatever is in the like upper right quadrant in like it was, it'd have high value and also high, uh, high, high feasibility, uh, we would do. And then. Uh, yeah, around like last fall, we kind of took all that material back and was like, okay, we know kind of where to start. And I focused on the AI stuff and with this like production, commit to production mindset, <laughs> of course, I'm sure that my, uh, like collaborator or people have been always probably wondering like, where are all the AI, AI applications? Because they don't see the, the work that goes into production. Like the deployment is really, an annoying process, especially if you're setting it up for the first time and like having to set up like agent pools on like a GPU server. 
then I had very nice help of a consultant mm-hmm. uh, to help me with helping that. you helping me with that exactly Not doing it for you exactly helping you. and I was like I need you need to help me set this up and uh, it was perfect collaboration um, but yeah so that takes time if you're doing it for the first time we hope that the next idea we have then be like fairly easy to, to deploy because we will have like one um, like pipeline to and and fall back on can, can i ask another question yeah. Yeah. The time is flying okay. away now, oh, really? so keep it short <laughs> yeah also the top the notion of going to production and and adoption what are we talking about here are we talking in something ends up in a dashboard are we talking about r- really trying to go go back into the core work process of people how do you see that or what There's have you kind of just presenting results in uh, a dashboard mm. so like Taking like uh, all the, the the information you need from the data warehouse, do the topic modeling, have the results, and then like dump the results back into the data warehouse and visualize it. And we use ClickSense, mm-hmm. so we're so this like one app where people go to when they uh, find evaluators, and then this augmented data, which is the topic modeling, the various topics, is there as a filtering option. So that's how. Nice. But making sure that, like, I mean, I'm going to go on maternity leave, so I'm not going to be able to, like, oh, a new evaluator is added to the mix. Like, yeah. where does they, uh, where do they un- end up? So, uh, yeah, we're th- that's why it's in production, so I don't have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, you use ClickSense, I guess, both as a dashboard and in, an interaction tool or a web interface you yeah. can have. But also as a database in that case, or do you have an uh, additional data stores that you can use for this, or do you store it directly in ClickSense? No, it's well. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I thought that ClickSense it brings it out from the data warehouse. Right? It depends on what it yeah. can, of course, yeah. but it can also store stuff it by itself. Uh, okay, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Files. Uh, you, I guess you have another data warehouse. Now. Yeah. Can you share anything about that if people were interested in knowing what no. what type of yeah, I, uh, no i mean for this you'd have to ask my yeah. or invite my <laughs> my uh, colleague around i'm an awesome and, yeah. and it is so fun to hear about all the different you know applications you can use data and ai for in vinova you mentioned in the beginning you know being able to categorize uh, calls or applications sorry yeah now you use topic modeling as well for understanding who to bring on as a reviewer um, what are there any other plans and any other applications already or some plans? What are the next steps? What are the things you potentially are considering in the future that you could use AI for potentially? Well, another thing, oh, we have many, <laughs> many ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, one pain point for any government agency is utlämningsärenden. Yeah. Uh, so that's when, like, as a government agency, according to the press, um no, that's not the one, Offentlighetsprincipen, um, you have to, like, all documents that are processed by a government agency, like, the public has access to it. So you you can be like, I want to find this application. Or anyone from the street can come in and ask for any type of document. Uh, the problem is that if that contains like business secrets or uh, like GDPR uh, information, uh, like that has to be like blackened out. Uh, And this is done manually, Um, not in a very systematic way. Uh, It really depends on who's doing it. Uh, So like 
that would be, I mean, or in my opinion, a, a very like for cool the themselves or for general? us, uh, like to start with, just yes. because of course you would be uh, like sweater, uh, you would uh, like blackout, be doing the yeah. blackout, the, the different different things probably if you're another <coughs> government agency. But I think that would make a good like training set to like have like what has been blackout blacked out before, yeah, yeah, and then just like dump that somewhere and say like that's the uh, secrets secrets and then mm. um tag that in the text so that's something that we thought about um i think a lot of agencies would love to have I that know, kind of functionality I know, exactly. because that that's a fairly universal yeah. problem in yeah. the, uh, that you are on to that you could model something and build mm -hmm. a data set around and do something that you are using could really sp spread within the government yeah exactly super cool I mean, I, I wish I wasn't going on maternity leave. <laughs> like I, we have many ideas and uh, like we, there's another thing where I, uh, you, um, use like take like project somewhat in the summaries and, um, like embed and like get the vector representation and then take the, like cosine, sim cosine similarity between all the different, uh, summaries and kind of get like a score of how similar they are to each other. And then see if some like very like similar uh, summary has showed up, like in a like a call that's going on at the same time. Because that happens, people are like, yeah, there's four calls that are, like we can apply to, and you want to have some sort of transparency, make sure that not four people in Vinova is gonna approve four different projects. This that happens. Um, it's not ideal because then you have to like, oh, we have to take the money back, and there's a lot of headache around that so you want to have some transparency and it's okay for, like we can't stop people from submitting applications but sometimes they can be yeah we want to see like sh like if people have uh just submitted the same or like very similar like even like copying something or if something has already received funding like you would get this cosine similarity score of like saying like oh this is something similar or see like oh you're actually working on the same thing. You should be collaborating. Um, so that's another thing that I think I would like to mm -hmm. see, like do mm -hmm. at the time. I'm mm an -hmm. um, awesome. I can see that there could be so many applications for, for using data and AI driven approaches yes. in Vinova. Um, I was thinking more like, um, I mean, you have to come up with new calls all the time as well. Yeah. And I, I at least to, to my knowledge is, I mean, sometimes you have recurring calls comes up all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> but to have some more ideas about, you know, right now, I think the call about this should be prioritized in some way, or perhaps a completely new type of call. Yeah. Given, given that you, for example, see a lot of project summaries that you say come in and they are very similar, but saying that hmm, they are not really that similar to the actual call. Yeah. Perhaps we should have a separate call about that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or just, um, like if there's another trend that we haven't picked up, right? Uh, that uh, identify trends. In yeah. Some way. So, uh, and I think, yeah, AI can be used for that, but it's also I think about just um, enabling our uh, the program managers to like be, be like give them tools to be able to like 
um, catch these trends in mm. a good way. So there are like. No, but I, I, I get this sort of uh, my neurons start linking to mother brain thinking and, and uh, AQT. I'm like a, a VC company, you know, yeah, is yeah. trying to build ideas in order to pick VCs. And then we are arguing, are you picking uh, VCs or are you picking trends? Right. Right. And if you, if you use tweak that idea just a little bit and then say, well, we're not going to use it for the, for the VC purpose, but we're going to use it for a call purpose. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't need to be that far away. Yeah. I mean, also, I think, you know, we had this other uh, person on the show that was working with Mother Brain. So Mother Brain is a company that tries to help uh, VCs to decide what to invest in. Yeah. And in right. some ways, it's yeah, very, similar very similar to what similar, you do, yeah. right? But they look more in, yeah, to a number of different uh, things, including, you know, teams, I believe they have the people uh, and, and I'm not really sure all the I mean, like the, there are two, there are, there are but, several but parts. Lot, there are yeah. several parts. What one thing is like, you know, what, what, where are we sort of looking for a VC? And then when they are zooming in, okay, what are the, um, what constitutes a, an investable uh, startup, you know, yeah. the teaming aspect, you know, the idea, you know, so there are many different aspects yeah. in order to sort of filter out uh, high potential, so to speak. Yeah. And, and we also had um, Henrik Langren from Arc Capital, and they also are a VC. He actually came from EQT and, and right. worked with Mother yeah. Brains himself quite a lot. And, and then he started a new VC, which is trying to have a completely data-driven approach or, or very close to complete data-driven approach. So simply saying, instead of you pitching the idea of why you should invest in me, simply show us the data and mm. it should demonstrate why. Oh, okay. that, that is a really yeah. cool idea. It's yeah. really turning the whole process yeah. uh, over to, to the other side. And, you know, th- that is sometimes what data can do. You know, it can really, instead of just, you know, making an existing process more efficient, really turn the whole process uh, upside down and say now you don't need to pitch anything don't do a presentation yeah just show us the data and then we'll make a decision yeah or we already know what to exactly (laughs) you don't even have to show us we know your data yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. i'm an awesome i mean i think there is a lot of i mean that could be something for you to look more into yeah and this is one of the uh, things we've picked up from the from the from vinova like this is Mm -hmm. they like if enable this type of like more advanced analysis and picking up trends is like something i mean i personally don't think it's like 100 percent ai i think it's more about just connecting various uh data sources so mm, more statistics perhaps. yeah exactly and and um is just focusing on that i mm. focus on the ai stuff yeah <laughs> but yeah that's something that's really relevant yeah but yeah, but, of course. but i but also here I mean, like we should use AI when it's applicable, but a great idea. I mean, like this is data driven, right? So we understand data in deeper ways and then the right, uh, what, what do you call it? Occam's razor, right? You should choose the. Yeah. The simplest tool for the job. The simplest tool yeah. for the job sort of thing. Yeah. But I want to, before we, I really want to have some time to talk a little bit about your learnings as a governmental agency to do AI. And if we can sort of distill out ideas, do's and downs, uh, tips and tricks, or how to think for other agencies. Yeah. Could we, you know, I'm not, maybe we should, yeah. could we go sure. there now? Yeah. 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 I mean, um, yeah, we were pr- pretty lost when we started. Uh, what we did was we took advantage of many uh, networks through mm-hmm. AI Sweden and there's 
many networks out there for government agencies of various sizes to like collaborate, and we kind of signed up for all of them and uh, sat and like sat in the meetings, but mainly used it to just like get someone if we saw someone who was like having like similar having a similar journey already traveled, we would like email them and be like, hey, can we can we pick your brain for an hour and talk to them? Perfect. And we had really good conversation with. Uh, I think he's a product owner at Skatteverket, um, Andreas Voxberg. And he was the one who was like, he said, this was like our first month or something. He's like, we always thought about production first. And I was like, okay, production first. Perfect. And then <laughs> we took that ad- advice and we've been trying to, of course, it's like, we're not perfect either. Like we were uh, not always succeeded, but yeah, just ask other people how they did it. And especially when it comes to like uh, computing, um, like how have others done it? Like a lot of people have, like in the bigger government agencies that are more um, data-driven, like Arbetsförmedlingen, mm-hmm. um, Skatteverket, uh, SAB, they have their in-house infrastructure. And then we talk to, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, the some of the smaller ones and they they didn't have anything uh, so we were like okay we're kind of in between here we want to like learn from the the ones that are, that are better and we yeah we took we made decisions based on what others had learned so but you're, you're asking me the same thing like you and i'm I saying mean, like that, that's I, we a scientific, ro- yeah. I mean, it's a scientific approach you're doing yeah. a background research you look yes. up to what other people have done you try exactly. to learn the best from them and best practices and then you try to apply it and so yeah right? and but I, I and it is also a peer approach it's like it's, it's seeking out your peers uh there are two things the seeking out your peers is doing the research but i, I argue you're also collecting your own point of view. Yeah. So, and I think, I mean, like, uh, once again, use consultants is great, but ultimately you should build your own point of view, why this will work or, or stuff like that. So, so this very pragmatic way that you're describing, I, I think is quite powerful and you can, you know, you, it's, it, it's scientific research. It's fairly straightforward yet. Is it done that way all the time? I'm not so sure. No, but what I think, you know, connected to this, I mean, for, it's for one, you know, know how to do it, as you mentioned, you, yeah. you can speak to other people, learn what you can from them, but then you come to a point, okay, now it's time to start doing it. And then you mentioned you need to get the GPU, for example, yeah. you need to have the computational power and building the, the hardware and the infrastructure and everything to actually make it work for you as well. And I think, as we said in the beginning, this is a journey that I think every, uh, agency or other company is also trying to do, but not really sharing how to do it in a good way. So everyone is doing the same work over, over and over, and over, and over yeah. again. And we're building a lot of cow path instead <laughs> of one highway for yeah. this. Do you, do you have I, any thoughts about that? How to? No, I agree. And I think I just also want to say that, like, I understand that, like, coming from Vinova, we also have, it's easier kind of for us to also be like, Ask anyone for a meeting. Mm. Uh, yeah. Rather, if it, I mean, this advice maybe doesn't apply if you're a small company trying to do, do the same thing. Like, Vinova is very respected. So it's, and, and everyone's like, oh, we need to like make sure we don't, that we have a good relationship. So, so it was easy for us to also like 
yeah. first of all, be placed in inside of all these networks um, from the start. So we didn't even have to like look them up. We're like, we were already there. And then... Um, but I think, you know, one advice on that is that AI Sweden is trying to yes. do the same. Yeah. They're trying to share that. I'm not sure if they still, at least when I was there, that they, they call it a use case factory or yeah. something that they can collect experiences from all the partners they have then share that so you then you can find a place even if you're a small startup yeah no that's right? yeah that's a very good point and 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 how did you go about sort of okay the research part and you 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 start and, and then going from thinking to doing you know how, you know how, did you did you have to go and get some funding or did you have to present a business case or did you make a plan or how did it work in practice when you needed to right now now investment starts here work starts right um and that's also maybe a good thing about being at a government agency we don't if we had uh, we kind of already had the commitment from from above, from like the our, uh, director general, like general director Daria, this was a very high priority. So from we kind GD, of have general director was general very director. yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so we didn't have to like go convince anyone. But then you need to present what are we planning yeah, to do and exactly. how we're planning to do yeah. it and how much will that cost still. Yeah, exactly. So that's. Um, we started off with uh, this again was mainly Geronza's work where she like made um, uh, just evaluation of where we are right now and then see like where do we want to be and then like the path to get there oh, and uh, awesome. present this. And this was done. In very, yeah, I learned a lot from her mm-hmm. uh, seeing her work. Um, I think what you're saying, if we just think a general topic of like how, how to make you know, government agencies like Vinova and perhaps similar organizations as well, be more data and AI driven, then I think what you said is you have the privilege of having support from the top management yeah, team. exactly. Yeah. But I think if you don't do that, if you don't have support from that team to make a significant investment in time and money, it will be really hard, yeah. right? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, so that could be an advice for other agencies exactly. and organizations. Start with the securing the real commitment. Yeah. I mean, like, so you, you are coming in now, you're even recruited, right? So the, yeah. so something has been going on here with that commitment. And it's quite obvious, right? For Vinova, it's quite obvious. We, we need to walk the talk. It's yeah. a very simple rhetoric. But um, but if, if you're in another agency, well, you, you need to secure the context first. You need to secure yeah. the fertile yeah. uh, ground, so to speak. And I think if you don't even, I mean, I like, otherwise you have nothing, right? Yeah. But I think then the the advice on like networking and collaborating also applies because yeah. you can just like use us as, as an example and say like, look, they did all this. Uh, we can do it too if it's a similar government agency and, and then try to get your uh, like... Yeah, so the first step of going out there and getting your research done applies in both cases. Either is to, you know, to to, to present your plan or it's to present why we need to do it. I mean, like, it's it's a little bit like the research you need to do. uh, Then it's a little bit like what's the maturity on your your stakeholders and then use that. Okay, I like that. Um, Let's, uh, we have, yeah, it's not so much time left, but uh, how... The problem of, you know, building the infrastructure, uh, I think everyone is doing it. No one is sharing. Do you have any, and another general topic is for normal companies that are not agencies, they can use in the public clouds that we have. And that's a big, big advantage, of course, for them. But we don't have, 
you know, I'm trying to move to more societal <laughs> long-term topics here. So yeah, so, fine with me. And and if we do that, I, I guess one question basically is, given that we don't have a big cloud provider in Europe at all, not anywhere near the big cloud providers in US and China, and we don't have one in Sweden, um, and everyone has to build it all the time mm. for themselves. But do you, th- for one, okay, do you think that's a big problem? Um, secondly, how can we start to fix that? Is that something that Genova could start to help with perhaps? Or how do we solve the problem that everyone is building data and AI infrastructure by themselves all the time? Yeah, uh, no, I agree. It's um, That's a problem. Um, it's just, yeah, and I think Vinova definitely could have a, a like a, a part to play in this. I'm not sure if me personally, I'm not sure if like a European cloud solution would be maybe uh, the best. I think there are resources out there. Um, like like I mentioned before, the like HPC. Um, like via yeah, get it's, still, it's still EU-funded HPC, you know, clusters and mainly in most of them, I would. Yeah. Or which one? Do you think about something else? Or? No, uh, there are other examples too, right? Um, but I mean, I think there is a reason. Like you can't say there there aren't any resources. There are. Yeah, but, but not uh, <laughs> not to the scale anywhere near to the big cloud of providers. Of course, yeah, yes. and and of course it's another business model of like. Yes. Uh, just like paper minute um, or usage, and no, I mean, I, but I also don't see it happening from the Vinova perspective. I, I don't have a good answer for this, actually. I'm, I mean, <laughs> the nor do the, I. By no, the way, I have no good answer for that. I don't think anyone really does. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Like, I think that the EU should be working on this. I mean, I mean there are these big. Uh, uh, Initiatives in Europe, like Gaia X, is one of them. Yeah, and they're trying to build up some kind of European infrastructure. I, I think it's very dangerous if there is more politician or EU Commission-led kind of in, in initiatives. Um, I, I was simply hoping that there, there will come a private company that is doing something similar to the big private, you know, organizations yeah. that are building the cloud solutions in US and China. Were it to happen in Europe or Sweden, yeah, that would be an awesome thing, I believe. But yeah, how to fix that? I have no idea. No, me neither. We should probably leave it at that. But just to recognize <laughs> yeah. it's a big problem, right? Yeah, that we have, and it's causing all the government agents because they get stuck. I would say, oh, no. yeah, you know, they can build a small prototype on the laptop or perhaps an, an A100 GPU that they can buy potentially, but to really have a way to efficiently and f- in a flexible way. Try out, experiment, and really deploy applications. Know, yeah. It's it's a completely different. But thing. Could, couldn't couldn't you argue that at least for the public sector that you should have you should f- you know why don't you fund an infrastructure for Sweden? Why don't we simply like we like we we said oh we need to give, we need to fund uh, fiber to the rest of uh, to all of Sweden and we put billions on fiber. Well. You just go a little bit higher up in the stack than fiber with the same reasoning, uh, and, and maybe for the public sector, why, why, why couldn't that work? Why don't we? Be, why, why can't we just have a Bacillus two, uh, right? And, and then uh, I'm, I'm biting my tongue. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, maybe that's the stupidest ever. But no, I, but I, I, I think it's super dangerous if we have government-led uh, cloud solutions. Why? 
I, I, for the for the public sector, why? It will not have. It will be horribly poorly driven. It will not be as efficient. It will not be anywhere. Okay, so the problem is that even if you have the money, they wouldn't know what to do with the money yeah. in any effective way. It's useful. just to see how some of the HPC solutions, at least that are there, are being handled. Or um, yeah, I shouldn't name names, but. So, 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 so basically, what you you are saying, you need another type of organization, you know, in order to make think, this, you know, to, to make it very sound very clear. I think you know we should have an, a company that commits to deploy <laughs> a cloud solution that works with its working su- sustainable business model as well. Yeah. If you don't have that, and you just pour taxpayers' money into something without them having really thought through how but to but do then, that in a then scalable we, way. Then, okay, so d- this needs to be a, a, a scale-up yes. of, of some kind, yeah. but why, can't, why, why couldn't we have a massive call to support one of those yes. scale-ups? I think that's, now what, I like, now you're talking. You know, uh, this is actually where I was going with yeah, it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but I, I, w- I was asking I you to kill that idea. <laughs> so we need money from the government, but we don't want you to spend it on, on, on to build it in your own bureaucratic yeah, organization, but put that big money, yeah. sack of money in a big <laughs> call, and then... No, but Vinova, why not? Yeah, I know, why yeah. not? Create a big call for it. Yeah. yeah. Massive call, yeah. massive call for this. Yeah. That's my call. I, that's mine as well. <laughs> okay. Now we have a solution. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take that back to Vinova. No, I agree, it's a good... No, but it, because the topic is it needs funding and it needs support. And yeah. I don't think it should be VC funded because, the, you know, the, the people who it are... It could be, though. It, it could, could be, be partly there, but I think also the point it with needs, this... I think it, you need some starting help. You need starting help that. for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to build infrastructure, it's, oh, you know, it's a lot of money, right? So yeah. you, you, the, the, the runway is quite... And the problem is usually if we do, if someone do succeed to do it, like DeepMind or something then the big tech giants will buy it and they will yeah. do a brain drain and it won't really support Europe or Sweden anymore. And, and that is a big problem. Uh, uh, we, we get in stuck in this. Stuck. <laughs> I think we should try to close off with some more long-term societal topics here, potentially. Um, and for one, if we just speak about government agencies still to, to, uh, to some extent, do you see some trend? Uh, I mean, in Vinova, we can see they are starting to do work on this, put some significant investments and time and money into it. Do you, what do you think in general about Sweden, Swedish agencies? Are they improving and, and understanding the problem so they're starting sorry, to really invest in this? Or is it a positive trend in, in short, you would say? I say yes. Hmm? Um, you mentioned, Inter- for example, yeah. You mentioned Skatteverket and Arbetsförmedling. Yeah. I think they are two awesome examples of someone that is really taking this to heart. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I think everyone is in, like interested. I think the problem is how how you do it, mm. rather than if they're inspired or not. Mm. Um, and uh, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> I mean, do, 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 I, do, I, do you believe yeah. it, do you believe it's a positive future of governmental agencies to be more data and AI driven? Yes, I think so. I think there's, uh, from what I've seen, huge potential. Yeah. Because they need to understand the problem. They need yeah. to have, you know, what we spoke about before, the support from the management that you have in Minova. Yeah. But if people are starting to understand that, yeah. 
And I think, you know, what you did in Vinova to support AI Sweden, for example, I think this is really educating companies in what they, why they need to do it and, and what they need to do in yeah. some way, right? And uh, like recognize that we have the, the same uh, challenges and uh, restrictions and uh, potential, like the thing I mentioned about the Sekretesskranskning, um, the... The blackout of the mm. documents a very common thing that exists in all the government agencies like this is something that we could uh, that everyone could benefit from so really i mean um, if we start to simply i think actually donny gilblad you know yeah. we had also on the show and, and he's the co-director of <laughs> ai sweden and, and we had him and, and i asked him i thought a really really difficult question on why do we need ai sweden and I thought he would like be long-winded kind of, you know, long answer, blah, blah, blah. He said it like extremely concisely. Really? What did he say? Can I, can I answer? Yes. No one can do it alone. We're too small to do it by ourselves or something. Yeah. 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 On, and and this, this applies on, on one agency versus another agency. It, it fundamentally applies. To Sweden as well. To Sweden. Yeah. And, and I would argue, because the, the, the idiotic thing is, is not only that we are building our own infrastructure ourselves, we're all sitting and inventing our own data science life cycle process ourselves. You know, so, so, I mean, like, so there are methodologies out there, but they, you know, we're all bits and pieces here and there. And you're kind of, when you get to the how question, this is all about the how question. It's not only, it's, it's the infrastructure how, it's the practices how is the organizational how is the governance how is the investment and funding how so it's 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 a multiple of hows that we are trying to do alone yeah well i have an example for you then uh, to kind of showcase that it's it is possible over the like government agency collaboration yeah uh, so for, for example this um uh, the prototype I was talking about before, mm. uh, another government agency got uh, interested mm. and was like, oh, we want to do the same thing as Vinova. And they, they kind of used the same set of people to like uh, further develop this uh, prototype. Um, and we got in contact. So this was the uh, agency of uh, growth analysis, Tillväxt Analys. Tillväxt Verket, right? Til no, Tillväxt Analys. Ah, so there's two different okay. ones. Um, oh. So one is just for growth and one is to analyze. Okay. So that is like more, it's not a funding agency. It's uh, actually analyzing what we as funding agencies are doing and kind of like preparing calls or uh, comparing calls. So they um, further developed this, uh, this other tool that had like a topic modeling functionality and we got into contact and, uh, and that was someone who um, is like a, an analyst, he's not a data scientist, but he like collaborated with the consultants and got this uh, tool and um, the money ran out and he's like, okay, I have this tool, but I can't run it. And I was like, perfect, let me in. I'll help you like set it up if you, then like if we need to like change something, I'll, I can like give, so help cool. out with this and then, um, and you then give us like, we, we co-develop it. Um, and now this is what we we have named the tool uh, the tool Mimer. Mimer. Yeah, uh, that was Henrik's idea on growth analysis. Uh, Mimer is an old system as well. Do you know? <laughs> it's an old database system. 
that's what yeah, but this is also like a mythological claim, oh, <laughs> something from like drinking from the source of knowledge. Um, oh. And oh. this, just like working with the fact that we like he had something I needed and I had something he needed, and we kind of just like combined. And now, at least, uh, we'll see if I manage before before the baby. But I want to just put this tool up on. Uh, GitHub but, and like make sure that mm, like if someone else uses it. But, but but I think this is really interesting because the grassroots ourselves, individuals, people, we, we can make this happen. Yeah. And we are making it happen. And grassroots, we ourselves who knows this, we actually understand the practice is quite not so strange. We're going to do something, we're going to put it on GitHub or GitLab and we're going to use it together. But the, the, the stakeholders who are supposed to organize this or federate this, you know, this is sort of gra grass, this is self, you know, this is peer-to-peer self-sufficient, self-organized, right? Yeah. And not sure that will scale enough. So, so, you, so, so what I'm trying to say is that the ingredients, how to do it, what we should do, is already proven over and over again of all these individual with passion who's doing the color collaboration and they yeah. have solved how to do it. We use GitLab for, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we start thinking about packaging this and why don't, you know, that's the scaling we need. I mean, yeah. like maybe this is more important than much other things. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting passionate about this because I think it proves what you are doing is working. And I think it also proves what we sh as stakeholders should be working on in yeah. order to support uh, collaboration yeah. at scale. I agree because like this is the type of like collaboration that I know that our you know lecturer has been like this is what we want to have and then like a couple of months down the line like after we like started this collaboration I was like oh Daria by the way we have this collaboration with Tilvix analyst and I'm like that's perfect this is exactly how we want to be working but it didn't come from just like we need a collaboration and we'll like start and like reach out it, oh, yeah, it has so to come from like the fact that like I needed something from him and he, yeah. and we knew that we could share uh, yeah. resources and mm. but no I agree it's it's, it's with uh, people, the, yeah. the point it's it's in the end it's only human capital that makes it possible right now yeah. so how can we take whatever is human capital to be great how can we sort of facilitate that yeah. how can we have structures that facilitate that this is easier to find exactly because it's you can't. It's the, you can't also just like tell people to collaborate because if they don't have an incentive to do it, you're you're just gonna be forcing people to sit in meetings and then yeah, have no work. result coming out of it. So I don't know. Just I just tricky. showed that there's um, potential. There is potential. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There is a future, <laughs> yeah. and it could be positive <laughs> if we have some ambassadors, evangelists, people that are passionate. I guess. Yeah. About if we work together. We're too small to do it by, by ourselves, but if we find people to work with, then it could be a beautiful future, right? Awesome. With that, um, let's move into the final questions. And um, Leonora, uh, I think you will, I know the answer to this question, but uh, what's next in your life? Privately, professionally? <laughs> we'll deploy this this thing. Deploy, I like that. <laughs> but okay, deploy, but then you still mean professionally and not privately. Right, yeah. Um, I was taking the joke <laughs> approach. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, no, that's um, that's about it. I'm, I'm planning on going on vacation in two months from mm. now and then go 
<laughs> but you meant <laughs> you meant to deploy professionally as well with no I meant no. yeah I meant to deploy this um, memer no the, the um, Oh, the topic modeling the of the reviewers, mm-hmm. that yeah. thing. Um, and then also just kind of, I think it'd be a nice thing to just wrap up this, because uh, right now it's not public. And mm. it, there's also like, we can't just go say like, here's Benova's code and put it on GitHub. We have to be a bit careful about what we, yeah. um, how we do it. But I think that would be a good thing in a sort of broader sense of handover. Mm. So if someone uh, so a role model in the sense that you want to share and help other agencies as well, yeah, and, and you want to be able to do a handover, not only internally but also externally, yeah. and yeah, if you could do that, you know, publicly, I think that would be an awesome. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, and I want to make sure I do it so I don't get emails <laughs> asking <laughs> this code doesn't work. So uh, you just we'll have see. to commit to deploy even <laughs> when you are on maternity leave, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, I, yeah. Um, but then you also have flies. some other things happening in two months as well. Exactly. You will have to um, commit to deploy as well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then I'll be working on a different type of intelligence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's natural intelligence exactly. instead of artificial yeah. intelligence yeah. and training, you know, we, the natural let, Let's brain. talk about <laughs> the difference between natural and artificial intelligence and yeah. how to train it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it is, we're yeah. still working with intelligence. It's just yeah. natural instead of artificial. Right? Yeah. <laughs> It's important stuff. Yeah. Perhaps you can get inspired for, for or how to do it artificially as well, as well later yeah. on. Uh, yeah. Or apply some of the things I know from work on oh. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a training data set for the kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Data-driven maternity leave. I like it. Oh, that's a new <laughs> We talk. have to hear what, how that, you that, would, that would be great. Uh, you know, that there's all these different, you can blog on anything. What if uh, someone would mix machine learning and... Uh, Maternity leave. You know, what would that be yeah. all about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a stupid yeah, it, it, I guess it's a lot of scary, you know, questions of people not knowing how to do things. And if you can perhaps use data and AI somehow, I yeah. think it would be very appreciated. Maybe we can have a sorting algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> topic modeling on, on, on topic food, food to Topic modeling on, on baby stuff, on baby yeah. topics. <laughs> Right. Lenora, anyone that you would recommend to have on this podcast, someone that you would like us to, to invite and, and you to listen to? Well, I might, well, yeah, I thought a bit about this and um, I've come into contact with um, uh, a professor of applied mathematics. He, he doesn't know I'm saying this now, but in Uppsala University, David mm-hmm. Sumter, he's an um, Englishman working in... What uh, was his Uppsala. name? David Sumter. I didn't recognize him. Sinter, Sumter? Sumter. Sumter. He's been doing, um, like, obviously, like, research in applied mathematics, but also mm. a lot of, like, data science for um, f- football. Oh. Um, and, yeah, my my partner is also an Englishman, so there's a mm. lot of football at home, so we, we, we have a people. book of his, and uh, uh, yeah. he, he's also the PhD advisor of my um my sister-in-law, so I know oh, him from then. Oh. So uh, I, I think he's doing some cool stuff. So that'd be fun. We had the person, you know, doing data-driven soccer analysis. Oh, okay, uh, you need that? to watch it. We had the one of the senior data scientists yeah. at Arsenal Football right. Club here. Yes. Yeah, and okay. but he he was working on data. <laughs> you need to listen to this. Yeah. He, uh, what's his name? Contech. Oh, uh, no, uh, Mikkel Mikkel Mikkel. 
All right. Mik- Mikhail. Mikhail, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, and he's working, so he's working mm-hmm. on data science uh, for the sports physio, for the players. Uh-huh. So he's actually not, 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 you know, very, very cool. So the, the data around how we maximize the performance of the players. Uh, in Arsenal. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Something that's something for your husband. He's an Arsenal fan or not? Not. Okay, then it's out. <laughs> uh, he needs to bring it to other clubs. Though. <laughs> yeah, he can steal. Uh, yeah, if it, you know, they can steal it. Yeah, yeah. Lenora, it's been a true pleasure to have you here. Uh, we had so many other topics that I was hoping or planning to speak about, but uh, I think the topics we were managing to cover, even though I would have to cover so many more physics topics as well when we have an expert. But we had an here. hour of physics, so I think. Yes, <laughs> but I still had so much worse more. Worse than I my PhD defense. That's good. I, I take that as a compliment. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's been a true pleasure. Wish you the best of luck in your future with the maternity leave and everything. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for having me. Yeah, thank you.